This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and before we get into it with DSP from the vault, we're going to talk about what that is. Let's talk about some of our sponsors. Total Boat, TotalBoat.com. Make adhesives, paints, primers, and polishing compounds. And this is what they have to say. It's for boaters and DIYers. We understand that you need projects to go smoothly. That's why we constantly find ways of making our original products better, easier to use, more sustainable, and less expensive. We even tinker with packaging from time to time to make it more user-friendly. Our real-world know-how is what separates us from the giant chemical conglomerates that sets our stuff apart. I love this Total Boat stuff. I've been using the two-part high-performance two-part epoxy for handle scales. I also use the UV Cure uh, Clear Resin. Uh, You use that, and then you hit it with a little bit of that UV flashlight, and it gets hard. It's fantastic stuff. The thick-set casting epoxy is great, too. Guys like Keith Decent, Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, and Jimmy Duresta all use Total Boat. And if you go to TotalBoat.com, use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. And they're great stuff, and they're really good people, and they really love the maker community. And I think that the knife-making community could benefit as well. Uh, even guys like Ben Paik, Ben Paik, uh, Woby Design, uh, took some skateboard decks, laminated them together with Total Boat, and uh, he made a bicycle. And then he rode around the bicycle, all held together with Total Boat. So if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Use the promo code FULLBLAST10 for 10% off when you go to TotalBoat.com. Total Boat, baby. Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax is an all-natural food-safe wax for your handles, for your scales, for your axes, for your hammers, for your knives, steel, wood, leather, whatever you got. And if you go to axewax.us, put in promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order, which is great. It's inexpensive as it is. Use the full use full blast 10 get yourself 10% off, and then get more because it's dynamite stuff, and Noah is doing a great job. Uh, I like the fact that it's all natural food safe. I actually just finished three pucks. I got to get some more, and I will be using Full Blast 10 when I buy it myself. So go get yourself some of that. And if you're in the UK, you go to UKKnifesuppliers.com, uh, UKKnifesuppliers.com, and use promo code Full Blast 10. If you're in Australia, NordicEdge.com.au, use Full Blast 10. If you're in the EU, KnifeMaterial.at, Keith's. Keith Colby's taking that full blast 10. So go get yourself some Axe Wax. You won't regret it, okay? And the next thing is, is AK Interactive. AK Interactive is Andreas Kalani, and he is making websites. He's fixing websites. He has 20-plus years of experience in design marketing for corporations before becoming a knife maker. His design, he designs websites for corporate identities and entire company branding. He can make you a great website that's mobile friendly that you can update from your phone. And if you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, you will automatically get 10% off as an listener to this podcast. So what you should do is you should go to definitely go to akinteractive.com slash full blast, fill out the paperwork, figure out what he wants. Figure out what you want, and then he'll put you in the right place. And he's going to speak your language, and you're going to appreciate it. And it's going to be worth your time and energy because that's where you should be spending your time and energy in the shop, not worrying about your website or fooling around with people with DMs. It's just, it's such a time suck. So go get yourself a good website from a guy who's been doing it for a long time. He's a maker and he speaks your language, akinteractive.com slash full blast for 10% off your website. He can even fix your website. If you got a good website, 
but you want it to be better, he'll consult with you and make it better. If you need one from scratch, you take care of that too. So thank you, Andreas Kalani, as always. The last thing is, is I have to thank Broadbeck. Broadbeck came through for me, man. I tell you what, I have their 2x72 grinder and I love it. I've been using it, for, I've been using it every day I'm in the shop and I think it's fantastic. So if you go to Broadbeck.com, BroadbeckIronworks.com, they all have all sorts of uh, sales going on right now. I know that they have a lot of sales going on through uh, the, the uh, Blade Show. So go check out what they have. Um, they're very user-friendly. They go uh, forward. They go backward. They go. You can get yourself VFD. You can get yourself squared away. Horizontal, vertical. They're, all their attachments are very user-friendly. They're definitely worth it, and I appreciate them. Uh, and they during the holidays, they always have sales. So go check them out. They're knife makers who make beautiful grinders for not just knife makers sculptors woodworkers it's it's your it's your one-stop shopping for a great uh, tool and if you have a grinder you say i don't really need a new grinder their attachments are very user-friendly so you might want to look at their great attachments i just got the surface grinder and it's highest level highest level i love all their grinders i really want to get one of those adjustable uh work rests those are really nice and their attachments are great so broadbeckironworks.com make great 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 tools for you okay okay now guys listen i'm on a bit of a deadline and i have decided to take a couple weeks off i gave you two weeks i gave you two years two years straight I know last week came out a little bit late and I got my balls broken, but that's just the way it is. This week, this episode is going to be from the deep end. Twelve, uh, Ten years ago, this episode was recorded, 2012. It's the downward spiral, the original downward spiral. We did it like 12 years ago and we had 60 some odd episodes. And um, Nico Tavernisi has sent me a pile of them. I've been going through them all. So I'm going to be taking a few days here and there just to kind of like recharge a hair. You know what I'm saying? So this episode of the Downward Spiral, if you don't know the Downward Spiral, Nico Tavernese, set photographer of the stars, and I had a podcast 12, 12 years ago. And we did it for a while and we had a great time and he's just hilarious. We actually had my business partner come up who wasn't my business partner at the time. So this episode of the Downward Spiral 10 years ago, Tony... Tony was up at the house. We had a barbecue and Nico's family came over. Tony came up. We cooked some food. We decided, hey, let's spiral. So Tony and I went over to Nico's and we shot the shit. We did an episode of Downward Spiral. It turned into restaurant talk. So this is going to be funny because you're going to be hearing before I ever made knives and never made a knife. Actually, if you hear me talk about metalworking, I might be disdainful towards knife makers. Maybe. We'll see. Hold on. You don't know. One thing I can tell you is we did a lot of restaurant talk. We talked a lot about when Nick, when Tony and I were working together and the funny restaurant things that happened. And we also had a large bottle of Jameson's that we, I believe we drank three quarters of it. And towards the end, you can kind of hear the slurring starts and you can kind of hear the fact that we're just kind of figuring out what we're trying to do. Uh, Tony's got to make a train and we got to decide whether or not we're going to make this train and make the next train. And towards the end, you can kind of hear Nico's getting quieter and quieter. It's because we, we went hard in the paint. We went hard in the paint. That was before I started realizing that drinking on podcasts is a bad idea, but we were definitely drinking on the downward spiral. So here you are. 
feel free to enjoy it. I hope you like it. I, I thought this was really funny. I really enjoyed. It was funny having Pat. Um, it was funny having Nico and Tony on at the same time. Uh, once again, this is 10 years ago, so forgive me if I, I say anything that's just out of line. I've grown a lot since then, okay? But it still sounds good, and we had a really good time. And uh, hey, DSP from the vault, enjoy. Thanks, guys. Take it away, Craig. Welcome to the Downward Spiral. Oh, Lord. We're taking you way down. We start off strong, and then it's downhill. What do you mean strong, though? Well, we start talking about nice things, and then we end up talking about awful things. Okay. And then all of a sudden, we get depressed. Or I get depressed. There you have it. There we go. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Nico. Welcome to Downward Spiral. Welcome to Downward Spiral. This is episode number 30. Oh, this is a big one. This is It's 30. 3-0. Yeah. We're I'm way psyched. up there. Yeah. I'm so psyched. We've got, got my friend... A great guy who's here, came all the way up from Philly. His name's Tony Ozzie, and he is a fine gentleman and a first class chef. I don't know if he likes to talk about it, but he's a fine, fine chef. Yeah, I just had his muscles. It was pretty awesome. You know, Jeff did all the prep work for you, but hello, everybody. But you did it. You really set it up. Yeah, Jeff de bearded. Yeah. I, you did de bearded everything. But they weren't muscle. that bearded. I don't they know. weren't super I bearded. Them, I didn't see them. I, I, over, I looked over your shoulder and it didn't seem that. No, bearded. no, no, no. But they were good, and it was a perfect amount of garlic. Usually, I'll eat mussels, and it's mm. just so over garlic. I don't know what. Like they pour like garlic butter sauce over it when you're done. You're just like or over the mussels after they cook it, and it's a little much. But this was nice, mm. and in fact, the parsley was pretty great. And I think the here we're gonna kick. Well, Tony made it. I I love the I love the idea of little bitterness on top. I'm starting to get to a certain age. I don't know what the fuck it is because uh-huh. I remember my dad would always have bitters in his sweet vermouth growing up. You know, Italian, yeah, you know, sweet vermouth and your little bitters and stuff. And isn't that a Manhattan? Uh, no, 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 no. It's I'm it's sorry. pure. So Manhattan is bourbon and sweet. it's bourbon sweet vermouth. But this is straight sweet sweet vermouth that's chilled. And like a little glass, and they would put orange rind around the edges, and they put the orange rind in the glass, mm. and then you put a little bitters in. And I, th- I used to steal from it when I was a kid. I used to because the refrigerator door, you open it there, it was a little thing of sweet vermouth that was chilled. You take a little sip, and I loved it. But I, I couldn't understand. I remember I tried bitters one time, and I just thought it was the most disgusting thing. And my dad, being the Italian, also eats. Uh, um, well, I guess we call it broccoli rob here, but right. it's you know they call it Italian Italian broccoli, yeah. but it, the the leaves are so fucking bitter yeah, they're bad that it's just hard to take. Your tongue kind of curls, and you're like, wow, that's like you I know, get addicted. It's like eating metal. Rob. I can't stop eating. But my my dad actually doesn't eat much. He can't. He became allergic to garlic, which wow. is depressing for a you know for sure for a Amalfi Coast guy. But he. Um, he will. He loves his bitters, but he can't eat a lot. You know, most certain things. It's like that, the land of Campari. You know? Yeah, yeah. And it's what it is. And yeah. in fact, my cousin who lived in Italy for a while at his wedding, and they have just big ice buckets full of Campari, like mm-hmm. little Camparis, and you know, big Campari guy, Tony. Ayazzi. I do love Campari. You remember that? He when he and I well the, the he, I met Tony. Uh, I think in like nineteen ninety seven. 
And I started working for his old boss, who's my old boss, Charlie Palmer. And we ended up working at the same restaurant. I was the, I got, we, he went down to, we basically got brought in. We were like the cleanup <laughs> crew. There was a restaurant where they were giving away the booze and there, the food was we a disaster. Showed up, we showed up and like the people that were there right then didn't know that that was their last day. They the thought was that like we were there around, Like waiting for Charlie to come down and like put the axe down. Like what is going on? The crazy thing is, is they were under the impression that I was coming down to help them in the front of the house and that Tony and our other the other friend chef uh, Scotty were coming down to help in the kitchen. And they were psyched. They didn't. Yeah. They thought, "Wow, that's great." There's a guy's coming like in front of the house. The guy coming in the kitchen, right. and this is going to be awesome. This is going to kick us to the next. And level. you guys were repo men. What was it? Basically, yeah. we were like, we were, we were, and then Charlie came down and he fired everybody. Okay. And then we had to run the restaurant. We had to run the restaurant from zero to like zero whatever. To like oh, I mean, I'm like looking at the menu, like people coming with the orders, like a salmon and this and that. And how do you? I mean, we were just making up the dishes yeah, order yeah. to order. But at the same time, they didn't get rid of, rid of any of the cooks. They didn't get rid of any of the waiters. Charlie just came down and said, this is the new front of the house guy, and these are the new chefs. And everyone was like, whoa, we had, we had a good thing going. There were margaritas going in the back all the time. Yeah, they had a good thing going. Sure. And then all of a sudden, it was, it was like, like cigarette butt tall on the yeah. office floor. It was, yeah, oh, so, so that, yeah. then Tony and I and, 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 and Scotty went down there and... and um, and we kind of we, we worked together. It was like it sounds like a scene from from uh, Casino, the Scorsese it was, thing. Where the, it was <laughs> the new pit boss like, steps in. <laughs> well, the pro, well, the, what, from what I understand, the old chef went down to his office, and Charlie was down there, and he was sketched out a little bit. And Charlie said, "Why don't you come into my office?" Which was his <laughs> office, and it was just like he knew that the jig was up. Yeah. I think but, they had a nice run down there, though. They had, they did, they the, the bar was giving away on the second beer. They're giving away a third. You know, they, it was it was a good situation, and that's that's how Tony and I we became friends. It was like right after September 11th, so it was like time for every exactly New York after business September. like yeah, take yeah. stock and right. like figure out what's going. Wait, on. where was it? It was on 22nd and between Park, and it was called Alma, uh-huh. and then it became Kitchen 22. But um, Tony and I were down there. Well, I, I was there. We had a blast. We had a great time. We, had a we, great time. we were like four blocks from the comic book store. Right. Right. That's right. We well, just I don't like, even four blocks. I think one we block. come up with all these crazy drinks. Wait, what comic store? Uh, that Midtown one. Midtown Comics. No, Midtown not Comics Midtown. on 23rd Street. No, that Forbidden Planet. No, the that's, Forbidden Planet that's is on, on 14th that's Street. That's on 14th Street. That's on 13th right. Street. And, and the comic book store, we had, there was a comic book store on 23rd. It felt like four blocks. I'd jump down there and all. Lost Planet's great. Is Lost Planet still there? It's still there, isn't Who? it? Lost Forbid- Planet. The original Lost Planet? I know Forbidden, forbidden Planet. Forbidden, Planet, Planet. forbidden Planet. Planet used to be on on uh, 12th Street and then it's on 13th Street. So I remember you finagled me like a 10% off card one time and they really did not want to give it up. I <laughs> I went to Forbidden Planet for so many years that I was the only person to get a pick of the week for a non-working person. Oh, wow. So I, I was the only one with a customer pick of the week. So every Wednesday I had a pick of the week. <laughs> But I used to, I loved it there, and they were you know it was good. We used to so yeah. So Tony and I would we'd go down and buy some comic books, and and then we'd go back to the kitchen. It was fun. It was nice. fun. I loved it. I mean, the best. Time, I, I I said this on the podcast before, and Doc, please don't take offense to this, but I wouldn't wish the restaurant business on my worst enemy. <laughs> it's it takes a certain type of person to do yeah. it. You know, you have to you have to enjoy. There's a there's a quality of life that you have to be prepared for, and a lot of it is. And it's not the hard work. I mean, you. But you get a huge. I mean, you're working. You're in. Te- you're. You have to be in like a fugue state almost to really kind of appreciate it. Mm. You can't just overthink things. You have to like be in. 
you do better in that business if you're like in automatic pilot. Like if you know what you're doing and shit just kicks in and you're squared away. Mm. So the and that that makes sense because the more experienced people can deal with things better or easier or I they think can so. stuff gets thrown at them and they're like, yeah, okay, and they kinda make you just Or is it somebody too. who can kinda just somebody who can just wing shit. Like when you went to that you and and Jeff took over that place and you just kind of like okay yeah salmon fuck it i'll do it yeah just like that just comes from experience i yeah. think you know being it's able true. to like just kind of make it happen you know yeah. i think the great thing about when we were at alvo is that we were just kind of like these two guys who got stuck in this restaurant with zero supervision right so zero we were just like made it kind of happen which was pretty fun actually yeah. well we there was a few things that we had to do one thing was is they had this huge want from my end i i wasn't really like i went to culinary school I didn't have a huge experience in the kitchens because I got swept up by Charlie Palmer and he wanted me to make stuff for his restaurants and I ended up being more of a project manager. I spent a little time. I mean, I think I did two or three nights in, in Oriole at Garmanger and I got a funny that story. I remember you there, yeah. Yeah, because the first, my dad was in the c- cooking business and he used to say to me, whenever, as soon as your first day, as soon as you get there, whoever's, whoever's the sous chef or the chef, call him chef. The first person I met was Tony. He was going some, doing something and I, asked, I said... Hey, chef, where are the clothes? And the first thing he says to me is, don't call me chef. The first thing Tony said. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, we got, I got st- stuck in the kind of the more of the front of the house things. And, you know, we got a lot of stuff done. It was great. It was, it was a great experience. You know, they had a huge, they bought a ton of shitty wine. Yeah. A ton of shitty wine. And my job was to kind of get rid of it. And we got rid of it. And it was like, you know, it was good. It was a, there was weird things. I got a one weird story. <laughs> really weird. Bad story. I don't know if you were around for this one. This was... We had, you know, all restaurants. This is this is a fact of life in restaurants. There's vermin in restaurants. This right. is the city is. There's more vermin in the city than than people realize. And the I people. guess probably the people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we had, you know, most restaurants also. What one thing that they do is they have a you know, they have a service contract with the pest control. And when we were at Alva once, I remember, you know, there was a pest control guy who'd come in every so often. And late, late at night. Late at night or whatever. And they would put like stick traps under the banquettes and whatever. So I guess one of the customers, I got an email. I got an email from one of the customers. And he said, I was at your restaurant last night and I didn't want to make a big deal. But I put my foot back behind the banquette. You know, it was, it was whatever. I was moving my foot around. And I got one of those mouse tra- st- stick mouse stick traps stuck to my foot. foot. Oh, Jesus. And I was horrified, and I didn't know what to do. Wait, was there a mouse on there? No, there wasn't a mouse on it. But oh, he well, was then. he was horrified because you know ruined his shoe. Well, those things are really hard. Yeah, to those are, those are the, 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 the adhesive on yeah, there is fucking. Or was it just the possibility that they, you had to put some kind of thing out there to maybe catch a mouse that was there? Yeah, that well, makes but, seem that's, like but that's you see the trap, you yeah. see the mouse. Yeah, but they they just don't. Yeah, they you. It's always there, and everybody sees it there. I know everybody knows there's bugs and vermin, but when you go to a restaurant, you just block, try to block right. it out of your head. Right. Especially in a city, right. it's like, la, 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 la. That was, and that but, was, that was a tough email to take, because the guy was like, I just want you to know I was horrified, and my guests were all horrified, and my shoes destroyed. And what did you say? I apologized and said, why don't you come on back, and I'll give you 10% off of your next meal. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I offered, what did you say? No, I said, I'm, I'm so sorry, we'll take care of this, and, you know, any kind what, of... Buy you new shoes or something? I, most likely, there was there were there. You do that. I mean, that's part of sure. I mean, it's clientele. Three quarters of 
food businesses. This is interesting. This is something that Charlie Palmer told me a long time ago, which was, which was, if the food is good and the service is not good, people won't come back. But if the food is mediocre and the service is amazing, they'll always come back. Service is huge. It's a huge part. And that's not, that's not to take away from... I mean, that's just a fact of the average American It doesn't matter consumer. how good it is if you're treated like shit when you're getting right. it. I mean, it yeah, it yeah, matter. true, true. If you're treated well and the food's mediocre... It's really... It's, you know, what's really funny is that the other day we went to Anthropology. My wife had a gift card for Anthropology, so we went there and she got some uh, clothes. But when she gets to the front of the desk and she... And the, the girl behind the checkout counter, she was just looking at the clothes. She's checking them out. And she's like, oh, this is really cute. And like, you know, I love this color, blah, blah, blah. And Jared's like, mm, okay, great. <laughs> and we get out of the car and she's like, I fucking hate when they do that. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, every time when I buy stuff at Anthropology, they com- they have to comment. Like, that's their law. They have to, the girls have to say something about something nice about one of their items. It's uh, so weird. And at that point, I was really kind of grossed out. I was like, ugh. That is so yeah, weird. You right. thought it was like off the cuff. And yeah, it, wasn't. it was really well done. It was really well acted, but it was just funny. And Cheryl was like, yeah, they do it every single time they have to. <laughs> that's awful. I know. When I heard that, I was really bummed out. But when I first went to stand there, I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> she totally like thinks it's cool. <laughs> and then she got in the car and Cheryl was like, yeah, they, they do that every time. Mm. They have to. That's like there. And then I, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, anthropology. It's a, you know, it's like the step up from Gap, I guess, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, it's... So, so, anyways, but it was you know that it's I don't know. I mean, you have to do it. You, you have. I mean, I was a, I managed a bar, but the bar was so successful, I could be a dick. I could care less. So I. <laughs> that's the business to be in. Yeah, bars ridic- ridiculous. Well, the funny especially thing- we were at, we were in we were the only bar in Williamsburg on North Seventh for a year. When was that? Uh, right next to. Uh, uh, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, well, Zablowski's. So it was right next to. Um, I lived on. Remember when I lived right on Bedford? Yeah. I lived between fifth and sixth. What was the? Uh, there was the. I forget the name of the. It was the only bar there for a long time, um, and then it turned into like a French restaurant, and that was our next door neighbors. Uh-huh. But that bar, when we were living there in Williamsburg in like the late nineties, that bar was like a biker bar, and that was all it was. It was on North Seventh. I forget the name. of Huh. That was well, like right on the corner. But but Zablowski's, just because there's all these like little Asian restaurants opening up around there, and Zablowski's was like this big kind of open bar, and um, the doors were always open like that, so everybody just kind of piled in. And you know our Friday and Saturday nights were just were enormous, and uh, I didn't know the fucking first thing about managing a bar, and I was supposed to like call the you know the till and pull the fucking receipts out so the bartenders weren't skimming and. Mm-hmm. Bartenders like that's like their profession. It's like it's hard to find a bartender that's not using ninety percent of their brain to figure out how to steal something. Yeah, the crookedness, the crookedness of the bar, the bartenders. It's amazing. And Charlie, we once found out, but how the 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 ingenious methods they come up with. Well, it's easy. There's a lot easy ways to do it, and the easiest way is buybacks. What you do is like a restaurant will say to a bartender, if you want. You can give away a certain amount of drinks. Right. Yeah. Fair. Next one's on me. Give, knock, yeah, knock, yeah. Right. And then what happens is you give that you give the the buybacks, and then they give you more money. In, in theory, that is stealing to a certain degree. The other thing is is um, you keep the register open. You keep the register open, and you don't run run drinks. Right. Like you just like you keep the register open, and there's no you're not really 
carting you're not out. Typing it, you're not well, now what it. the whole thing is is when we got in there. I mean, there was a lot of look. I like the guys who were working there, but at the same time, the management sent us in because there was just money was just flying out the windows. So one thing I had to do was, which was every Monday, I had to I had to inventory. I had to inventory all the alcohol, but I had to measure like the I had to measure the, the, the alcohol bottles that were open by tenths. I had to break up a bottle of booze by yeah. tenths. And then at the end of the night, we had to cash out where the register would give you the cash out of the the amount of cash that there should be. And we had to make the bartender count the money. You know, if there was a discrepancy, yeah. the bartender was responsible for the discrepancy. So it was like it was a I guess if you were to take the inventory and if you were to take the, and if you do a, do a good job, uh, the accounting department could figure out if money was being stolen or not. Now, there's one awful story. This is an awful story I wanted to tell you because this is exactly what happened. The best things you could do at a bar, well, one of the things is they, they used to say to us, we need you to clear $3,500 a night. That's what we're aiming for. And every time we. To would, a bartender. No, to oh, the to restaurant. The, manager, the, the restaurant. restaurant, the whole restaurant. They wanted us to cover. If we, we would do we would do well if we made thirty five hundred bucks a night, which if you think I mean we had what ninety people for dinner something like that Sometimes. it was ninety no it was a weird time it was a strange time the food yeah. was very good and it was very easy and it was easy going it wasn't like high end it was good quality food the food was good and people came so they really but at the end of the night the bar was always making half the money no question every time. And, I, and sometimes it's a big bar for a restaurant. It is a big bar. It was, I mean, half the restaurant was yeah. a bar. And this was before you could. There was just no smoking. I mean, you could smoke in the bar at the time, and that was huge. That's right. You could. It was I before they banned that. the smoking, right? So, the um, the 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 guys in the office would say to me, "Listen, if you have a chance, you know, you can. You guys can make a lot of money by booking parties." So I had met a group that at one of my old restaurants at Vero. Who wanted to book a party at night? Just the bar. No, they, you know, you have fifty people. You charge them by the head, and then you have two people in the restaurant. You have the manager, which is me, and the bartender, and maybe like a busboy. And the, it's just crazy money because they paid top of the line, and just, you know, all right. So you, what the move is is the bar is the manager says to the bartender, "Listen, we'll I'll help you, and you know, we'll you'll you'll make a lot of money. You'll make a lot of money." So at the end of the night, she still had to cash in because we had to figure out we had to figure out how many drinks were served and blah 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 blah. blah. So I'll never forget my old restaurant. The I was the bartender, and when we'd have a party like this, the manager would always, I'd always give a little. I I throw a little money his way, or he'd at least, or somebody would at least pay for your cab ride home, especially if you were hustling. So at the end of the night, I wasn't taking any money from the bar. I was the manager at the time. This French girl. She's a French girl. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember. I never went to that place. At Alva? No, I'm talking about Alva. So at Alva, there we had a party, and there was the bartender was she was French, and uh, I don't remember that at all. She was a different kind of chicken. Oh, so not street chicken. No, not street chicken. So French chicken. She was French chicken. So she she got she got she got a shit ton of money, right? And I would work my I worked my ass off. I easily poured as many drinks, if not more, than her. And I thought at the very least, if she was had a, in, in tips, seven hundred bucks, easy. I figured she'd throw me a twenty for the cab, so I might have made an off-color joke about it. And she was like, as soon as I mentioned money, it was like she froze up, right? 
probably was my fault, ultimately, and probably shouldn't have said anything. It's not like I said, give me some of that fucking money. It was more along the lines of saying, well, damn, you really well damn, tonight. maybe you should be paying for my cab ride home, or something obnoxious like that, right? So I went down with the... We cashed out, and I went down, and I noticed... I noticed that the, 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 there's a discrepancy between the money in the register and the cash out. Dun, 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 dun. 40, like $40. This, and I had to... And it was just me and her. And I thought... Oh my god, I am fucking screwed. Because when she came down, I said, There's a discrepancy here. And they, at the office, they said, they, The bartender's got to cover that discrepancy. So she thought I was, I was fucking scamming her. So she immediately was like, Dude, you are trying to hustle me out of my money. And I immediately got really quiet. And I think I even called Scotty mm-hmm. like at like 2 o'clock in the morning, the other chef. And I was just like, Dude, this is what happened. And I called my wife, and, I was, and she was just like freaking the fuck out. And I was like, and I ended up saying, "Don't worry about it." And I let her leave. And I, and I called everybody. I called the office. I called the chefs. I called my wife. I said, "Listen, this is what happened." And I, I was convinced that she was going to think that I she she was under the impression that I had originally made a joke saying you should cough up some dough for me to take a cab home. And then I was like, "Oh yeah, you know what? You're forty dollars short on the register." Any idiot would think that I was trying to fucking right. scam her. Even I think I was trying to scam her. I clearly wasn't. But it was like, it was, I've never been so afraid. Because you were in a situation, I call Hillary immediately, and I was just like, this is what happened. She goes, you gotta, you can never do that again. You can never be alone with a woman and do that. Because you just have no idea what she could do. And it was very clear. I got this cold feeling down the back. That's right. Never trust a woman. Well... Yeah, I mean it was it was it was it was ugliness. I mean, so you it was need scary. to have you need to have three dudes there. You need to have. Yeah. And I then mean, in the it corner. Was, it was. I was like. Right. It was no. She probably made out because she knew that she was going to be fooled you over because she put it in the tip jar instead of putting. She it in the thing. she might easily she might easily have been robbing 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 the place and but however yeah, I French. fucked up yeah, yeah well. I fucked up by like trying to joke off. You know, I was irritated that she wouldn't even offer me any money. Like when she's I, French. Well, French don't like tips. Yes, Europeans don't take tips. They but it was a, it. that was the scary. That could have been one of the scariest moments I had, where I thought I'm gonna get I'm gonna get arrested. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get sexually <laughs> harassed. This is a sexual harassment thing right here. Like she, you know, all of a sudden she's just like she just jumps. She just jumps from guy fucking try to shake me down for forty bucks to to why are you touching to fucking, me? I'm not touching yeah, you. Just right. grab my fucking ass. <laughs> yeah, and there's no one else who could admit it. Yeah, it what are you gonna do? Wrong. You say no, I didn't. Doesn't really work that way. Is that really? So you might as well do it and just, <laughs> just well, have some fun the, with the it. Cre- the other creepy thing <laughs> is, is the other creepy thing is is that uh, Charlie used to send private investigators down the restaurant and watch the bartenders. He well, it was a, it was a, it was like a, it was like a service. I don't know. If it was All right. Hardcore, well, like okay. Well, okay. So they, they hired were like someone some random to come people. and watch the bartender pour drinks right. and report if they were stealing. Yeah, that's that called a it. private investigator. Yeah, but some of those private investigators were like twenty-two-year-old interns. All right, so it wasn't Magnum. It didn't have a mustache, <laughs> but they were like, and then and then I would get these creepy calls saying, "Oh yeah, we had the service come down. You guys are doing a great job. What service?" Oh, we sent the private eyes down there to make sure you guys weren't stealing from us. Thanks, good job. I was like, <laughs> well, the, th- you know, the thing is, is that you know, my friends, a couple of my friends who helped start the bar, 
and uh, kind of built it. You know, my friend built light systems in it, and I built a sound system and helped you know helped get the bar off the ground. And my friend was the first bartender there mm-hmm. when they couldn't hire anybody. And systematically, the three of us were fired and accused of stealing from the owner's wife, oh, which was just, no. and that's the re- that just ended our friendships, like mm-hmm. all of us, with that guy because his wife was clearly mm-hmm. completely paranoid of anybody stealing, and she would just when when I was managing, she was like, "Gotta stay right on there, bartender." And these guys were just like, some of the guys were there from the bar before, right? The older bar that was there, and they're like, "Dude, I don't." I, can't steal like you know this is all I got like is all I got like I would never I, I can't do that you know and of course I, it's like I'm I can't watch it I, mean, I sit there watching I'm like this is so wrong and it's like look whatever you guys are making they're making a killing just counting out fistfuls of dough and I was like you guys are worried about fucking 20 bucks they're like right. tight stay in business I was like well, okay with the, great with That's, that said and I can point this to, to Tony wouldn't you agree that you get a, in that business? There's a there's a hardened quality where you don't trust a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's with well, the avenues that you can be taken are so many that you can you can easily be paranoid. You always get yeah. It, reason. it is the problem is is like they fired that my is the friend. Biggest bottle of Jay Moore I've ever seen. Yeah, we that's get like, it. That's this, like this discount that's liquor like, store that's upstate. Like Nevada style. But we go to, you know, we, you know, it's like the guy who was the first bartender there. Who did, he worked for free. Wow. And he was, t- he was, he was fired because that was quote unquote, because he was he told just he was tips. giving too much booze to the customers. Uh-huh. And he was like, I'm, I'm, he's like, I'm not even fucking bartender. Right. I'm doing this fucking favor for you <laughs> bitches. And you guys fire me because I'm fucking giving, he's like, look, you know, it's like fucking hire somebody. Did they have, he's so pissed. Did they have like Kind of like and that ended their friendship. It sucked. They were all like really tight for years and you know from mm-hmm. early years and and they just he the wife just fucking ended all of our friendship. Yoko, we syndrome. all just totally wow. we all just left. Yoko syndrome. Yoko syndrome. Right, right. So how did you get started in food, Tony? I mean, what what made you want to? You know, I would always I would have all these chores to do that I would never do, and I'd end up cooking dinner. Not not a good dinner or anything like that, but it just seemed the thing that I was most drawn to. I just had a proclivity for it. Right. Were your folks you know? big cooks, or was it? My mom was a, like my mom loved, enjoyed cooking, but she also worked nights when I was growing up. Uh-huh. So it was kind of this. Weird, Do you have siblings? I have one sister. One sister. sister. She doesn't sister. really cook. She's cooking now more because she has three children, uh-huh. but not as. Uh, I think it's more of like a utilitarian thing, you know. She cooks to. So, I mean, you grew up in Las Vegas, or Reno. Reno, yeah. So, what got you, I mean, you, you went to the Culinary Institute of America, and what yeah. brought you all, what, what made you decide to go all the way over there? Well, it was, I could have gone to the school in San Francisco, but I just felt like, you know, New York, I wanted to work in New York afterwards. So Is it, it the one in Pennsylvania? Is it the one in CIA? Hyde Park. In yeah, Hyde Park. Right, right. Not yeah. even an hour away. Right. Yeah. Here. So I was like, I wanted to go, if I wanted to move in New York, work in New York after, I might as well go to New York State for... And right. the CIA was supposed to be the best of the best. So it was the place to go. Everything else was kind of second, secondary to how that. Long do you so go to, how long do you go to culinary school for? Too long. I mean, it's trade really? school. I didn't go that long. Where did you go? I went to the Institute of Culinary Education. It used to be the Peter Cobb School. Right, right. I did it at in nights. The city. Right. I did it at nights. I was... Baking stuff during the day and then working at nights. It was the thinnest I ever was. The CIA was 22 months, including externship. 
No way. Twenty-two months. I didn't think wow. I did a whole year. It was a long time for trade school, really. Right, yeah. You know, but and that included the five-month externship. Did you do? Did you go anywhere else? Did you study anywhere else, or did you go, like, I, go to Paris? And, I went to Paris for the externship. The extra intern yeah. internship. So in the middle, I think you have like. Uh, did you get a choice, or did you? Yeah, you did you say you want really? But you had did to you say no? I need out. to I need to study in Paris because that's. I felt like why not if I had the chance to go to Paris, right? I might as well right. give it a shot. But it was kind of, it was kind of frustrating because you had to fill out this externship manual and stuff, and they wouldn't give you the manual unless you had the place approved. So, and you had the place of the restaurant approved by having had someone else go there before, and they had to fill out this paperwork with the school. Like, to, the chef had to fill out a questionnaire and all that kind of stuff. So, you're not going to cook at your corner bistro in Songs of the Zen? Yeah, and it had to be open to for a, nice, a certain amount of time. At least a single-star Michelin. Yeah, yeah right. and then I got, I think it was something like 45 or 50 letters to every restaurant in Paris. And I was had the ticket already. I was going. I was going. To, didn't know where I was going to work yet. But I finally got an acceptance letter after... They're very nice about writing rejection letters. Are they? <laughs> They're very good. They're really on it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You have them? Did you, you speak? Them. Did you speak French? No, not at all. Really? Like, so you went there. There was French. a lot of the. Oh, you you speak the, the guttural kitchen French. I knew, like aubergine and like, <laughs> du thym, you know, a few things, but that was about pigeon. it. Pigeon. Yeah. You had pigeon kitchen. You there's a there's a French there's a culinary French class at the school <clears> that you take. So you knew like. Vegetables and fruits and stuff. In like the that. pan and the knife and the right. That's already French anyway, so it's yeah. not it's not saute saute. Right. But I got the the letter that I got two days before I left was for this restaurant Lucas Carton. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I went to the, my Michelin guide and looked it up, and I'm like looking for it and looking for it and looking for it, and then I didn't think to look at the one on the very top. Like, it was the top-rated restaurant oh, in Paris. I'm like, oh, my God. And I was freaked out. Oh, shit. And so I went to the externship office to get my externship book. But they're like, well, that place isn't approved. Like, you have to go through the approval process oh, first. Jesus. I'm like, it's the top-rated restaurant in Paris. Don't you think you could just give them a yeah. buy? Like, yeah. just let them Seriously. in? Like, do we have to go through every step of this process here now? So what happened? These, this woman would still not give me my book, and then until my mom called up and like Bureaucrats read her the riot act. Bureaucrats yeah. are amazing. She's like, he's like, send him the freaking book, or he's not going back to that school or whatever. She told her, but she got it. She got on her case. And Go then, mom. so you, so so, all right. So you got the the you got the externship squared away in this high end. I didn't get the book until like you're supposed to fill it out like every week but, with something. What's but how do you, so so where do you where do you all right? Where am I going to live? Where are you going to live? I ended up, I was fortunate because I had a friend going there, I went there with him, and we kind of were able to kind of, you know, pull our resources together, and we ended up finding two apartments in the same building, um, about that horse butcher I was telling you better. Oh, wow. Chevalier. Chevalier. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we were able to kind of like, support each other, even if just like being expats together was cool. You know. Wow. So where, do you, do you remember where it was in Paris? It was in the 19th arrondissement. So that's on the right bank. I can't remember that, but... Near the Latin Quarter. That makes sense. Yeah. I know a little bit about it. <laughs> the Latin know. Quarter? Latin Quarter's the best part. I lived in was, Paris for like a year, and I don't even know the Latin Quarter's Latin Quarter's not too far from the, the Notre Dame. On the, it was on far away right from that, though. The north side. No, this was... It was close to the Pierre Lachaise Park. All right. Miss Seagal? I'm out. I'm tapping out. Mm-hmm. 
The 19th was, you know how it went out in a spiral, all those numbers. Yeah, yeah. So the 19th was like kind of out there. So how long were you, did you live there? Four or five months, I think, that's and, ha- and did you love it? No, I did not. You didn't? But what I thought... What was wrong with it? It was freezing and I was broke and I was working 18 hours a day. And it was, it was, it was tough, you know? Did they treat like, you different because sleeping, you were because exhausted? You did you treat like shit? No, I think that one of the things you have to realize about living and working in not just France but Paris is like they're assholes to everyone even their own countrymen so it it's not you don't feel as as singled out after yeah. you realize that it's just like they're just assholes to everyone so yeah. you're like alright actually this is okay yeah yeah you know? I, I remember being in, I remember when I lived there and they'd have these huge arguments and they're of course you know you're drinking and the arguments just get grander and grander oh. and one time these guys were coming to a fucking fist fight I was like, what the fuck are they arguing about? And they're like, they're arguing about which pizza place is better. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, the guys are going to fucking kill it. I thought they were going to kill each other. And they're screaming, I thought they were going to like spitting on each other. And I was like, oh my god, what the fuck? Was it like the screw a sister or what? No, no. It's no, like, they, don't pizza prawns, place they don't put prawns in that. Yeah, it was just, it was amazing. And at that point I was like, Oh, they just do this. That's just how they act. Yeah, that's just how they act. They you don't have to scream feel like, and yeah, yell. Yeah. And then only later did I figure I was like, oh, that's where all those fucking student protests are. Fucking eraser! Yeah. I lost my fucking eraser. <laughs> fucking, we are protesting. Burning your city yeah, down. Totally. You're like, oh, <laughs> firebombs for everybody. School protests. So, so you four months in Paris, and then you were like, "Fuck this! I'm, I'm done." Well, that was as long as the. Uh, it was just tough. I was, you know, 21 or 22, and it was. I was working in this top-rated restaurant, which was actually that was the coolest thing. It kind of demystified the whole thing to me. Like I thought it was going to be like this exclusive club of like 30 to 40 year old professional cooks. James Bond will walk in, yeah. Right. Yeah, but it was really like, yeah. just like any, it was like any other restaurant. It yeah. was just like any other restaurant. Did the you, fish cook sold like hash out of his right sock and mushrooms out of his left and like somebody would show up drunk every day and some people would be late every day. It was, it was less... It was a standard. It was a standard operation. Yeah, a restaurant is a restaurant is a Did restaurant. You, have you seen Big Night? Yeah. Well, now, in the back of that, the way they cooked, was that, have you been to Italian restaurants? Like, do you, like... It's not my background, but... I've no people. Yeah, I know. A Have bit you about been that. to restaurants that are like that are similar to that? Like it's somebody's fucking house and mm. they're just like cooking shit for you. Yeah, that was I mean, that was one thing I, I I noticed when I was in France one time. We were in southern France. I think that's I think we were in like Bordeaux, and it was one of those things where uh, my friend lived there, and we were she was a singer for Stereo Lab, that band Stereo Lab, and so we were touring through with another with this other band. Uh. And I was like, oh, Letitia, we're here in Bordeaux. Our fucking bus broke down. We're, we got a day to kill, so let's go around town. So all, all I noticed was, like, dog shit was everywhere. Like, everywhere. So you're literally just walking over dog shit everywhere. That was Bordeaux. And uh, and the downtown was really cool looking, but she was like, oh, let's go to this really cool restaurant. And when it was, it was like, knocked on somebody's house door. Mm-hmm. Like, they opened up this, like, guy with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, like, total French dude with a scarf, you know, like the... The you know the whatever the red and white checkered Taliban scarf thing it's just like oh, yeah, oh, come on in we go in we sit down it's like his fucking house mm-hmm. and then he's just kind of like she's like well, what do you guys want to eat and we're like I don't fucking know what is it? where's the menu and he's like well there's no menu like what do you what do you want I'll make it for you and uh, whatever we had like braised chicken and these pasta dishes like that but he would just like whip it up cigarette the whole time just like huh. chain smoking it but it was in his fucking kitchen that's pretty cool and it was like a, some weird price fix it was like whatever it was like 
it was nothing. It was like ten euros, you know. I mean, it was great, and it was it was an unbelievable meal. And the guy just, you know, that was the thing. It was like right. it was I've had that. I really wish I would have gotten her to go around in France a little bit more. But I was, I, I worked there twice, and I was exclusively in Paris both yeah. times. I wish I would have gotten to like see a little bit more around to get more of that kind yeah. of feel of place. Yeah, around. we went to we went to uh, our my friends when I was living there. I I lived with a. Uh, a friend of mine's family, and uh, and they had a house south of Paris, about an hour south, in this town called Etampes, which is near uh, whatever Bouville, which is a small town. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went and visited the family farm another hour south, pretty much out in the boonies, like yeah. in the middle of you know farmland. And I remember we went this, we were eating lunch, this huge spread on this table of like you know. Fucking the the rabbit leg was still had fur on it uh-huh. kind of thing, and I were shaking off chunks of this meat, and and then uh, we had I was really into fucking baguettes and cream cheese and confiture jam, you know, because uh-huh. their jam was so fucking good. Was it cream cheese or was it like no? It was a kiri. It was kiri. No, it was kiri. The little little the lavash, you know, the little laughing oh, the cow ones. Yeah. yeah. So you, which is just like it's like a it's like cream cheese, but without. It being super creamy, it's more like a brie but with cream cheese. Right. It's like laughing cow, but right. okay. But the mushy kind. Yeah. So I would just mush them all over a baguette because mm-hmm. baguettes were ridiculously good. And then I put confiture on. I love that the baguettes are like the price is regulated <laughs> by the government. Also, yeah. like you can't buy batteries without taking <laughs> yeah, right. out a mortgage yeah. on your place. But like baguette, the baguette's like, gotta, gotta be one. Government. Yeah, I seem to remember a story about that. It was always like one pound for one or one. Right. It was like ten francs for a baguette when I lived there, and then I think it's like a euro an hour or something like that for a baguette. So ten francs when I went there a long time ago was like. Two dollars to yeah. wait no uh, a franc was like two dollars or something. Are you crazy? Forget it. Yeah. So you came back to the United States and then where did you, where was the first place you worked after your externship? Oh, after well, I had to go back to school. You had to go back to school for like and that was a painful you, time because I'm like I'm ready to work now. I'm yeah, because you were in the world. Get out of here. You had to go Not only the, the world, you were in a foreign country at the top of the yeah. top of the food chain. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how how did you come back to Hyde Park and fucking? That was very difficult, especially because the classes you have to take after you're like, all right, you're just like trying to make this more than it is. I'm a cook, you know, mm-hmm. like catering class. I was just like, I had this like, oh, oh my god, it's like, you know. It, then you got into the restaurants, which is more fun. And you had to actually, I like that they made you work in the front of the house. So I had to like actually had to learn a little bit about that. And, you know, you get a little bit more respect for those guys because front of the house is just as hard as back of the house, you know? It's not. No. You have to deal with people. Can I tell you, I believed when I went to culinary school and then afterwards and I worked at Alva, I felt like because I had I met you and I met Scotty at Oriole, I felt like I got a little bit more cred because I was a cook first mm-hmm. and then I got stuck being the front of the house guy I always felt like I got a little bit more cred not cred but like you guys trusted me more because I wasn't like you know a prostitute front of the house guy because mm. front of the house guys are hookers they're all hookers yeah all you front of the house guys out there <laughs> you I heard this they're hookers so front of the house hookers. guys are are kind of a combination Waiters, of Mayor D and yeah. blah blah blah. Anybody, Anybody who's dealing that. with customers, hookers at the customer level. Yeah, hookers. I love them. That's I true. Did. You know what the funny thing is? Hookers. Is that I was a bike mechanic for 15 years, and that was the thing was 
I was always a bike mechanic, and I never fucking talked to customers. Mm. I fucking hated customers. Right. They would come in with their car, and I was the guy with the cigarette. Was just like, like fuck you. You treat your bike like shit. Fuck you. Your right. bike, your bike sucks. Right. Get, get it out of my face. Mm. But and then and then I actually had to go sell bikes. This one shop in in uh, Tribeca. I wound up. They were like, no, you got to sell bikes too. And I was like, oh fuck. So I would go talk to people, and I'm like, oh, do you really like this bike? Like, do you really think it's worth it? <laughs> they, were, they were like, you can't do that. You got it. You know, so, but it was, it was interesting to see their side. You had to see their side yeah. in However, order to have any kind of empathy for mm-hmm. the, what they were doing. However, like, there's one thing. It's important. It, I, probably, one of the main reasons, most likely, that like the CIA made Tony go to do that, or that's what their project process is, and why they made you do that, is because, I don't know about for the bike mechanic world, but... There's a huge difference between front of the house and back of the house. And one of the big differences is the back of the house guys don't get tipped. Like at the end of the night, you get a pool of tip money. In a lot of places, they break it up. These particular waiters get a percentage. These particular waiters get a percentage. And then at the end of the night, it's all broken up. Now, if you're a, ba- if you're a cook working your ass off just as hard as anybody else, and actually doing grill. way more yeah. because you're providing the product... Yeah, you're glossing it up, you're 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 dancing it up with some good service. But if the food isn't good, people aren't going to go. Right. Yeah, but like and you said, good good service can save a bad meal, but ex- a bad meal. Of bad course, can't all right. Save but you can't meal. you can't put them on even terms because ultimately, if the food sucks and the service is great, you're not going back. So right. now the difference is is the front of the house guys are getting tipped out a lot. You know, maybe not. I mean, they're getting paid less than minimum wage because that's a New York, that's a New York State thing. You can, you don't have to do minimum wage for waiters. Like I think that at Alba, the waiters are paid three twenty-five an hour or something. It's like why even stupid? Why it's like yes, why even bother giving him any money at all? <laughs> right. It's like I mean, come on, three twenty-five an hour. So um, they get a they get a lot of tips, especially if there's a big party or whatever. Now the waiters are doing a lot of work, but the cooks are getting more work. Now, here's the big issue, and this is the big thing I'll never forget, is if you get a table, you know, a t- table of two, table of four, if you don't, if the waiters are responsible for sending the food back at a certain time, you can't have ten tables getting their orders in at the same time, because then it screws the kitchen up. So, it's really, there is a relationship between the front of the house and the back of the house, guys. Now, if you're a front, if you're a cook, and you're working your ass off, and all of a sudden you get insane amount of tickets... You know, all of a sudden, two waiters order at the same time, two five tops, and there's two tables. It's just like an insane amount of food. The kitchen has to come up, cough it up, and when the kitchen coughs it up, it makes the waiters look good. Then the waiters get all the tips. So there is going to be animosity. I mean, oh you can't yeah, help for, that. for sure. Especially when the waiters like they love to do this. They love to like take if they get sat their section if their section gets sat to the five, six, to eight tables. If it gets set all at once, which it always does, everyone wants to get at eight o'clock. That's just the way it is. But they'll go and take the t- take the order, take the order, take the order, and then give the kitchen like five orders at once. Without like, you mean take all the order, take all the different tables oh, yeah. and orders, and, and then, then just put go it in and the like machine? enter everything at once. See, it's it's, it's hard because that's when. I'd see, the problem that. is they should get rid of the computer thing and actually have to but face you, the chef but you mm. need it and be like Bring here you in. go sir and the chef would be like well, that's, not just well, that was motherfucker just, <laughs> yeah right because it's so inanimate they, right. don't, they don't have to deal with the chef they're just right. like but thing. that's at Oreo they didn't, do, they didn't have a PO they didn't appoint a service system they had to bring it right up that's what they did at Oreo which is a four star restaurant it was a white glove but they would do the same thing 
Or they would they, they would take like three tables orders and then bring it up to the kitchen. Ouch! They wouldn't do one, bring it back, and then the next one, bring it back. No, they were like. See, it's hard. It's hard because you know you can you know you can screw a whole night up in the first. Yeah, scene. but I have to say that like <laughs> chefs have become so hard to deal with because of their egos. At the same time, that a lot of times front of the house. Don't even feel comfortable coming back to talk to they the just, chef. They just send something. it and let it They're happen. Like he's just gonna yell at me. He's gonna scream. He's gonna. Talk uh, I mean, I so. could not figure out. I couldn't figure out a lot of the complexity behind. There is a mathematics about how do you keep the kitchen as efficient as possible mm. and keep turning tables. I couldn't figure that out. I mean, a, a real seasoned person has to figure something like that out. Mm. I was just I just hope for the best all the time. <laughs> I just hope for the best all the time. And I apologize. I come to the kitchen and I'm like, sorry about that, buddy. Sorry about that, buddy. I I, I was really like I was like a a, a fraud. I, I didn't want to do on. it. I enjoy look, look, here's what I liked about it. I liked I liked the bartenders. I liked dealing with the waiters because are we had good we had fun people. The restaurant was fun. I didn't like the people. It like I'd have nightmares because in my mind, all I could think of is I'd have these nightmares of the rest of people keep coming in like wave upon wave, and you're like cr- being crushed by waves of people. On yeah, but the beach. Th- but think about this. This I think this goes across. This goes across the board on anything that has to do with inexperience compared to experience. When you start any job, and I've had three different jobs in my life, like big jobs that I've uh, would you call uh, life changing jobs, okay, right. basically, where. You start out and you're totally nervous as fuck and you wing it. Everything and you're just like, fuck it. Yeah, okay, sure. Fake that's how you do it. Fake it till you totally make it. Totally fake it till you yeah. make it. And that was the thing is that that's why I did with bikes. I lied my way in. I was like, of course I'll fucking rebuild your bike. Yeah, I had no idea. And I fucking go in the back and like before yeah. internet and was yeah. like, holy fuck, I got to take apart this whole bike. Hmm. And then it, that was the same thing when I did lighting for rock bands. I remember almost crying one night because the band was like, what the fuck were you doing? I was like, I don't know. I really don't know. You know? And then, uh, and the same for, being on set, you know, it's like you, that was the problem. But then you get to a certain point where you actually be, there's that like jading that happens, this like greasing over your ego where you're like, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, there's like that one moment where you actually know better, and that's the experience. When you said that you don't, you know, certain people probably you, know, you need to be pretty experienced in order to get this gelling between the back and the front. I think that just goes that goes without saying. You just it's just experience. Everybody starts at the exact same level when it comes to those things because how the fuck do you get a restaurant to run smoothly? It's really hard. You have to start somewhere. I mean, it's like but there's you know, also a difference because you also have to care. At the time, I didn't care about certain parts. I just didn't want anyone yelling at me. Well, like, but, they, but that was you, the same thing for me. I had a huge amount of respect for Tony and Scott, and I, I, as far as I, as far as the restaurant went, Scott, the boss Charlie and Scott and Tony were the only people I really like. Hoped that my respect was was there. So, as regards to everything else, I would always come back and be concerned that I fucked up. I didn't care if if you know something weird happened in front. I mean, I really didn't. I just didn't want to. Well, you, you know, who, it went with the flow pretty well. I like, tried. Like, so you I mean, also knew. You also knew who the big players were, and that was the thing. It's like you know. I didn't. I mean, ultimately, it was a great experience. Right. But it was like it was a lot of time. I would like to have a restaurant like that where we just open from like seven thirty to nine thirty. I don't know why we have to work so hard for so many hours where we're standing around for so much of it. Because of Spanish people. 
Because of the Spanish people in the late. Fucking Spaniards, yeah. Well, later, Spaniards. later I'm better with moving up as early. But you know we'd stand around for like four hours just waiting for the hit to come. Yeah, that's kind of you crazy. know. Would, I mean, yeah. Well, Did you do a lot of prep? You had to prep though. Yeah, well, you prep and then you're set up for a five o'clock service and you sit around for three you, hours oh, right. waiting for something. How long would it take to prep every day? How long does it take? You would try to you try to make it so that. Are you you're still a chef, right? Yeah, I'm not in a restaurant right now. Okay. Just doing more like developmental stuff. But Mondays and Tuesday, Wednesdays, Wednesdays would be heavy days. Then as you got to the weekend. What do you mean by heavy days? Heavy prep. Days. Heavy prep. Because those are the mellower days of, of restaurants, Well, right? it's also just kind of leading up to Friday and Saturday. Right, which are the big killers. And then right. Saturday you try to have it to where you wouldn't get any deliveries and you'd be so set up you'd come in later and just, just cook Just cook, day. right. But then Monday you're kind of starting from scratch. Right. So... And Sundays, no one would eat. Well, we were closed on Sundays, yeah. 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 Really? Restaurants closed? A lot of places. Really? Well, like, four, you know, like, nice places. If you're working with one crew, you can't be open seven. Seven days, like, throws the schedule, like, all kinds of wacky. Because then you have to... You have to switch crews. Yeah, that's it's like not enough hours for two crews, but right. too much for one, and then you have, like, one and a half. It's weird. So you close one day, and then you're kind of good. And you know, a lot of times, like New York gets slow at certain parts on Sundays. And know. but that's your thing is 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 usually from seven thirty to nine thirty. That's just when the it's the prime time. The prime time. It's a prime time. Think about it. You could like yeah, cut true. down on all kinds of labor if you didn't have to be ready till seven o'clock or seven thirty. You wouldn't even have to bring in the staff until three o'clock. I mean, pre- to prep. Well, what time Instead do you get to like, prep from? Noon or something. Like that? Yeah, like eleven thirty. But in Oriole, I mean, for example. You got you had a lunch, you had a lunch detail, and you had a dinner detail. Yeah, but you know, a lot of times you're open for lunch just because you're prepping for dinner, so you might as well serve some people at lunch. So, with the lunch guy, I mean, there was almost 24 hours people were in that building doing something. Right, right. Six o'clock in the morning. I remember lunch service. Do you know that I once came to Oriole with tanks of acetylene and oxygen? What'd you do? There was an alley. Now, the, Oriole was a bit, it was a townhouse that they converted into a restaurant. Now, now it's over at the Time Warner building, right? It's a furniture store. Furn- it's a where, the space. The so the old space was a town, townhouse, and he he originally hired me to make furniture and stuff for the restaurant. And then at one point, somebody contacted me and said, "Hey, do you have torches?" And I said, "Yeah, I got torches. Can you bring the torches over to Oriole and cut this I beam out?" Or a piece of channel, or a big piece of channel. It was up. I said, "All right, get a ladder, and I'll get the torches." So I put the torches in my car. Two tanks, big tanks of oxygen and acetylene. Brought my kit. I thought it was cool. And I, they we, we wheeled into the back of the alleyway. You're like it's a structural ivy. I torch cut off this piece of angle. It was the craziest thing. And then afterwards, I was just like, "Wow, that was pretty dangerous." I'm like, <laughs> I'm torch cutting. This big ass piece of steel in the alleyway of this restaurant. I have no idea why I'm doing it. No one gave me any permission. I just, they just put me up on the ladder, and I was—I thought it was cool to do. Oh well. And what was the local? <clears throat> Should have stopped. Local, by. local. Who are those guys? This, you know, after September 11th, all those dudes who went down there to like cut all the beams out and stuff. I don't like, know. I saw those, those, all those patches they had, all those patches that showed the I-beam, and they are just like, I think it's like 62 or something like that, local 62, like the big, the, the, I don't know the, cutters I don't know the, I don't know, I don't know the, I don't know the, I don't, you know, the, the funny thing about those unions is I only know the ornamental iron workers, which are uh, 508, 
And those are the guys who, who will make like wraparound staircase stuff. And but they don't, not really. They, they're no. in sm- most most of the union metal workers, iron workers, and you go ahead and come after me about it. But they're mostly installers. Like the the fabricators for most ironwork stuff is not they're not unionized. Oh really? The fabricators are usually non. But what about the in the building? The guys the, who erect skyscrapers. Yeah, the erectors are, are the, the erectors are considered iron workers, and they're installers, and they don't do a whole lot of welding. Yeah. They do much. All, everything's bolts. They, well, they try to keep it down. I'm sure they try to keep yeah, fire-based things lot, down to a minimum. There's not as much welding on the job as for yeah. like big construction. It's mostly bolts and stuff. Yeah, like bridges and stuff. It's all bolted together. Yeah. So all iron workers, they yeah, they work with iron except for there is no iron anymore. It's all steel. Yeah, and it's all bolted together. Why is there no iron anymore? It's just well, iron is one of those things that it became. You know, you can take a lot of you know. There are scrap yards, and they take steel, and they take aluminum, and they take uh, copper and stuff like that. And they sell them, usually to China or Canada, and they melt them all down, and they remake material. So iron has been... Iron is a pure is a pure metal. It's a softer metal. It's not a softer mix. than steel, right. Steel has got carbon in it. And it's firmer, stronger. Like, iron is not as strong as steel. So when you're a blacksmith... Iron is super soft to forge. It's softer than steel, but steel's got a lot of carbon in it. It's much stronger. It's better better for construction, but there's not a lot of straight iron anymore. Like, you almost never see it. Because it's not around, or you just don't... It's, it's not, not around, useful. but it's not expensive. It's expensive, and it's not as used. I and mean, steel is what's used. I mean, uh-huh. everything's made of steel. And they call it cast iron, but it's not really iron. It's steel. Really, even like a large cast iron skillet. When they, they people say cast iron all the time, they say iron. Everyone likes to say iron. So what is because what is what's out? There, is there anything out there made in iron with iron? Yeah, I think that if you were to find iron, you'd find it in like the, for the Middle like, East. Like no, you find it like blacksmith guys get iron. You know, do you? There's get no iron? call for. There's no call like. Now construction is one of these things. It's there's no forging. You don't forge things. Forging is when you take so some, your birds that you make, your sculpture that's birds. Iron. That's iron. No, 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 steel. That's steel. steel. Steel welding rod. I never get iron. We had once had iron. Are they expensive ones. or they just? It's just that people make. It. There's no use for it. It's soft. But it must it's be soft. cheap as shit though. It isn't because it's more pure. You have to think of uh, iron as pure, You're like pure iron. Right. And steel is like. It's spread out and it's cheaper because more people make it. But it's it. stronger because it's more, more. It's got more rigidity. Now there's no call. There's no call for anything. Is it lighter be, also? No, it? no. I mean, I don't. I don't know. There's not enough. There's not enough difference in the weight. Mm-hmm. But everybody says iron. There's no iron. No one's using iron. There's no. There's no reason to have it. You know, you could take iron and stretch it out and make a shit ton of steel, and you get a stronger material and it's more brittle. There's no there's no forging anymore. It's all everything's plates and, and angles and I beams and everything's fabricated in a way that there's no create there's no creation of right. things anymore. Yeah, it's funny looking at those fine home building magazines and those like the the new types of material they're using like these shows that guy with holding like super light I beam like has a whole I beam on his shoulder but it's like some weird type of drawn mm. aluminum that's like aluminum when I my last my last teacher was Israel, is Israeli blacksmith he's a badass fucking badass and he said the biggest problem of blacksmiths and blacksmiths in the United States are so fucked up there's I'm a member of this organization of this net, this biggest blacksmith organization in the United States there's less than 10,000 people in it 
And they're all old dudes with fucking stupid beards, and they all pray to Thor. And they're all the Allman Brothers. And they're all like... And the Black Renaissance Fair. Right. And they do men of Renaissance Fairs. Don't make jokes. I had a guy, we once hired a guy who worked at a Renaissance Fair, and I said to him, like, I don't want to hear chain mail. I don't want to hear you talk about chain mail. No LARPing. None of that shit. A halberd. But but these dudes are like, there's no... There was... One of the things that... It's it's amazing. I I love doing it, except for... There's no innovation. There's no innovation in, in, in forging steel or, or, or metal. And it got to the point where my old blacksmith professor, who's a really, really forward-thinking guy, said, construction is all aluminum and steel and stainless, and that's it, and glass. There is no more steel. They don't need steel. They get the, If they need I-beams, they get I-beams, the steel I-beams, and they put them up. They pop a few holes in them and bolt them in. There's not a whole lot of like create, creative parts for... Forging. So right. it's a dying art, and, and you make shields it. and swords. Well, I, I, yeah, if you're, for larpers, for knives, you know, the, uh, yeah, for one of for knives most, mostly. Well, the, for knives, well, here's the thing: most knives are stainless for the only reason why they don't rust. The Japanese knives are all that, that carbon steel. steel, folded steel like that. Right. Well, the whole thing, you know, it's very interesting about that. That all the sword making, the Japanese swords. They, my old teacher used to say well, the way they you know the, you know the reason why those s- samurai swords are bent those s- samurai swords have like that kind of arc they look right. like a, kind of like a sickle almost they have an arc they're not uh-huh. straight it's because they st- when they're super hot they stick them in the water a certain way so when the when it touches the water you know when the when the steel cools it shrinks so it makes that curve. The water makes that curve. Oh, wow. The water makes a curve. Now, one of the things is because the steel is every time you heat steel up, it be, or iron or whatever, it becomes more brittle. So they fold it over, fold it and fold it and fold it and fold it, and they heat it and hit it, heat it and hit it and heat it. Once it's cool, it's fucking brittle. Like you can, like your wife's knife that mm-hmm. broke. That is a good piece of metal, and she broke it on a piece of plastic. It's because it's so it's been it's been really well made. It's, it's also brittle. like well, they put those edges down so that they're so sharp, but they're so thin. They're bri- at that edge it's level. becomes very brittle. And when my bought my my old teacher said is the reason why they're brittle, they break so easy is because they're for fucking cutting heads. It's like <laughs> splitting. It's like cutting the leg between splitting the leg and a full thigh of a chicken. Right. It shouldn't. You know, you're not trying to cut down trees with a samurai sword. You're trying to right. fucking cut people's heads off. So you, you you're the only real reason you should be using those swords is to fucking cutting heads off so and which shouldn't break sounds a sword. like a wu-tang song it's true i mean it's like it's like a sh- they, their, their whole thing is is the all right it's brittle and everything but we're using it to, to cut, cut heads, heads off and it shouldn't it should be all right so a lot of a lot of that's a lot of it's all know, about the follow-through really well speaking of which our friend uh tony is a world-class fencer as well. uh, i would not say world-class all right how long have you been fencing I've been fencing for a long time. All right, what's a long time? Well, more than ten years. There have been gaps. All right, more than there ten been, years. Yeah, since or more than fifteen. Thirteen. Years. All right, thirteen years. That's a world. No, as far as I, I, since I have been thirteen, so. Yeah. All right, yeah, so like twenty years. Yeah. Wow. You've been fencing for a long time, so I yeah. think that's world class. No, it's not. Wow. Have you been to France? I have been to France. <laughs> as world class. <laughs> as officially world class. I, I was living in Berlin for a while and I was fencing there and that was pretty fun. You're fencing in Berlin? Yeah. Now we're, now we're but, really you know, now there you're been some like huge gaps. Huge gaps. I mean, it was really hard to keep up any kind of like real hobby and be a chef in New York. 
because you're, I mean, you're never going to get a Wednesday or a Thursday off type of thing, right. you know? So you're left with Sundays, which, you know, usually you're hungover, so. Yeah, yeah. That's and I, when I moved to Las Vegas, I moved to Las Vegas in 99 to help open a, a restaurant in Mandalay Bay there, and, like, all of our stuff got stolen out of our truck, like, once we got into Vegas. Oh, shit. And it was, like, all my fencing stuff. And, like, as a 22-year-old making cook's wages, like, to replace all that that stuff was, was pretty difficult. So that that put a damper on things for a long time. Now, this is something, speaking of Las Vegas, and this is something I was explaining to my own boss, because he is under the impression that a lot of the chefs who open restaurants and in Las Vegas are fucking set for life as soon as they're as soon as they uh, well they just they the thing about like the, the reason that a lot of guys want to open restaurants in Las Vegas or the reason that they do is because Las Vegas actually wants you there whereas it can be such a such a uh, such a such a hardship to get a restaurant open in other cities or you know they actually want you to be there they court you they give you well, money they give you a space it's like why would you say no but I'm under the impression that those restaurants they what they do is they lease out the the name or the 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 idea of the cook of the chef like Wolfgang Puck or say Charlie Palmer or yeah. Bobby Flay, and there's only a couple dudes on the payroll of those chefs. They're, like they're, the rest is the cooks. The rest are union cooks owned by the hotel. Right. So it, the you're you're not you're not thank you you're not coughing up a ton. I mean those cooks those chefs. It's not their restaurant. Right. It's like a management contract. It's a management contract, right? So it's like maybe they'll have two or three dudes from their office and you're basically, you know. Well, I, I know that uh, once they we started the place in Mandalay Bay, one of the reasons that they wanted um, Charlie to come in there is because they had never really, casinos weren't made to make money on the restaurants. They made money on the gaming. And then right. they wanted to like shift that. And they want to throw, drinking. And they they like, throw a freebie to a whale. Yeah, but now they're like, let's try to make money actually running the restaurants too. Because Vegas started to change from just gaming, gaming, gaming to like this kind of night night lifestyle type of thing. Right. So they were kind of using it as a study group also. Now you told me that one of the hardest things you ever had to do was when you had to run a restaurant with union with union employees. Yeah, that was very Vegas. difficult. Because it was just you and a sous chef, right? Well, all the managers were were basically em- employees of the, the chef. Hotel. But oh. all the all the hourlies, like I think that I don't know exactly how it works with the union, but managers usually aren't union, right? Right, right. Just right. the hourlies are union. So, um, and it's just with the restaurants, like coming from New York, like that kind of. Yeah, you could push them around a little bit. Yeah. You can push people around a little bit. If I said, big put production. the fucking Brussels sprouts in the goddamn thing, like, I'd have, like, a letter the next day about something, you know. In the union room. I got cussed at or something like that. So so there was a whole lot of, you, you couldn't, when well, you, cause I remember was, a long time ago, you, you were telling me how hard it is. You can't take, because with the amount of breaks and there's not a whole lot of things you can do. Oh, but man, the it was so quali- The food quality suffers. Like, a lot of the food in Las Vegas suffers. Well, it's... Does because you're, but it, it depends on how much money you want to spend on the food. I mean, it doesn't have to suffer. There are whole industries now in Vegas who will, like, you can buy uh, red bell peppers cut the exact way you want them to because labor is so expensive. 
that you can actually just buy the stuff processed. You outsource the outsource. Or if you want cucumbers sliced in three inch segments and placed four to a row on these sheets, you can get that done because the the labor would just be too expensive otherwise. Sorry, it's called. I think it's called Latinos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's local. Uh, it's the local, <laughs> accentuated teenage. Oh, local Ocho. Yeah. Local Ocho. Yeah, it was uh, difficult to work with the union, just being also that kind of full of piss and vinegar as I was at that point in my life. To come with something like, you know, with such a sacrifice to like, you know, at the altar of cuisine, you know, and to work with a, a group who was just like, you know, it's time for my break, let's go. I mean, I understand it now. But I didn't understand it as much when I was doing it there at the time. What do you think? What do you think right now? I mean, just you know, where is where? What's what's the most popular? I remember a long time ago, people were really into foaming food, and that was a big trend. And you know, what what what's going on? What what do you see is now the big thing? Where, where what's what's going on? What's the big thing with food? Uh, foraging. Foraging is huge. Foraging is huge. <laughs> I know my shit, man. No, I, no, do you know about this? Do you know about Stephen Ranella? I don't. I never heard Stephen Ranella is this guy. He's this food writer, and he's got a food show called The Meat Eater. And he he's from he is a really good he's a really interesting guy. He's from Michigan. He does a show called show called The Meat Eater. And what he does, is he goes on these hunts, and he'll shoot an animal on the show, and then butcher it, and then bring it home and cook it. That's like cool. it's really like. He he his he's very uh, he's very much about never buys food in, in processed. All, the only meat he has is all game meat that he shoots and hunts. And he talks about the importance of that whole that whole movement, and it's becoming very popular. Well, there was that what was that that big article in the New Yorker about the guy who forages food? It's, it's a great photo, two page spread. Of this photo of this guy, this Swedish guy, a uh, younger dude who's he's just sitting there foraging by this like ocean coast like pulling like you know some kind of watercress grasses mm-hmm. and they, they showed pictures of his food like a still life of his food and it's they were they were saying it's the top restaurant in the world like, Noma is it yeah that's what exactly yeah. it is so I, you were telling me you just went there yeah I was there um, February a friend of mine a guy we used to work with is now the chef de cuisine there oh really and holy uh, shit yeah so, we, so we went there to when we were there with Brian um, well time yeah yeah but the funny thing about the whole foraging thing is that they're is it like bullshit or no, it's not bullshit. He's done an outstanding thing for Scandinavian cuisine, which they're using exclusively Scandinavian products and like they're really right. finding things and doing stuff. But I mean, they still have lemons, <laughs> you know. So and you know, so how you can only take Where it so far, right? right? You right. know, like you know, it's like coffee. Is, to a point. Coffee is never going to be, you know. As, as local as pineapple is ever going yeah, to yeah, be, yeah. you know, so it's one of those things. But they would actually, just on their way into work, they would pick stuff out of the out of the uh, out of the parks on the way to work. So like just little plants, that, like well, that's exactly what that article was. The guy was just like, "Oh shit, we're stopping again. We're, we we still haven't made it there in a park." But, yeah. like, can you imagine like they're getting stuff from what Central are they Park? Out of a park? Like it's like you're going down you're going down Park Avenue and like cutting off the kale. To, well, like, you know, there's a dude for years who's been doing a mushroom foraging thing through Central Park. Mm. 
You know, you can get those wild ramps. But what's happened is since they made such a big deal about it at Noma, and now, now that's influenced so much of the dining culture there. Like, now they have to keep arriving to the park, like, early and early and early. <laughs> because like, there. Other, other people well, so are grabbing you, and going out. Well, how much product can you pull out of the park? Well, when you're putting three leaves of something on a langoustine, you know, you don't need bushels. You oh, know, yeah. it's like, you know. So you can't, like, show up with, like, a piece of glass and a bottle cap. What, what do you mean? <laughs> uh, forging in the park. And well, the, uh, the, other shit the other thing that was interesting that I was reading about was the uh, North South, uh, Charleston, South Carolina restaurant um, that uses all... They're, they're part of a seed coalition also. I forget the name of the restaurant. Um, but they, the guy who started it... Um, is trying to reintroduce these pigs that were there on like Roanoke Island. Asabal, Asabal pigs. Yeah, he's trying to reintroduce yeah, like them. Like what feral? On yeah, this yeah, island. very yeah. feral. Yeah, and um, but and he's also part of the seed coalition that is re-implanting old like uh, you know like cowpoke and uh, like uh, black-eyed peas. These original seeds of black-eyed mm. peas before settlers like, came in. Like the original seedlings, uh-huh. and they've actually, they actually found a bunch of these plants growing, and they they use them in their, in their dishes and their the food like this, you know. Yeah, I forget, and it was you know, anyways, but it was the who was it like Bon Appetit and Savoir rated the best restaurant in the U.S. It was this oh yeah, yeah. this little That's southern right. restaurant. I forget the fucking name of it. Anyways, but it's and it's this dude who's just like. It's like pure. So it has like a one word fucking name. Anyways, it's a great. It was a great I know article. Exactly what you're talking but about. it was it's one of those things me that now because of the, and the you know it was it was it's a great <laughs> idea. But they're basically like, look, you know, we don't, you know, you don't have to go crazy with with off the top kind of concoctions. They were making Hop and John, which is just fucking black eyed peas and pulled pork. You know, yeah, like nice. but. To you use the original, over? to use the original black eyed peas, and to find yeah. this pig that was here originally. You know, like they just cook stuff from the south, Mason Dixon line down. That's yeah. all they use, which is kind of cool. And yeah. it's it's like foraging, but without having to fucking stop at the park. You know, right? Like they definitely go out, and they're part of a sequel. Well, the, the south is so amazing because it has all these like estuaries and microclimates that lend itself to those like super hyper local type. Of sure, cuisines. man. You go to Charleston, South Carolina, yeah. and you're like. Where the fuck... Like, it's like fucking Jurassic Park meets, like, fucking France meets... You know, it's just like, where am I? And you're like, oh, Anne Rice's house is right there. You're like, no wonder! <laughs> of course Anne Rice's fucking house is right there. It's like all painted black and moss hanging on right. there. So, is for, so foraging is becoming a global phenomenon? I mean, is that something... Well, I think, you know... I, you know, the media always picks up a few certain things to, for to, to write about it and beat it to death. Right. So foraging is like the you know the thing to talk to to do right now. But it's not foraging. It's not the. I don't think it's the the idea of foraging is is fun and, and very right. media friendly. I think it's the idea of what this southern guy does mm-hmm. and using I like that native native species and using native. Like, actually, it's like it's like um, um, agricultural foraging. Of or course, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it's it's, it's site specific. It's 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 your. Uh, Anthropologically foraging. Yeah, it's it's your it's it's your 
zone specific right. Right. food. Right. Okay. And you know, it's like my mom is a landscape architect, and that was their biggest thing was keeping was using non-invasive plants, using all native vegetation for any of your sites. So every site that you draw up and you build is all native plants. It has nothing to do. You don't bring in fucking well, it's a, it's, creeper vines and, right. and kudzu, which takes over everything. Right. It's it's you know, and I think that's that's what foraging the. The idea of foraging is basically that. It's, mm. I think it's, it's it's basically using... I think it's also that, you know, something that me and my business partners say all the time is that climate is culture. Like, the climate yeah. kind of dictates what the culture of the sure. place is and well, what's going to grow. But that's a, that's a wine thing. I mean, wine, wine, it's French wine sure. is, yeah. is one of the big things that most American wine drinkers don't realize is something called terroir, which is... Whatever the, the 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 wine is going to take the the flavor of whatever your ground is. If it's rocky or if it's minerally, right. you, you you and that becomes part of, especially in France, that what the areas are known for. It's it's and, I, and I'm only coming. I'm only saying this because I know a little bit about it. But uh, you know that's a huge part of the the cultural. You know you don't grow certain grapes in certain areas because the you need to focus on what the ground is. Right, willing to, you know. So, do you think? Do you think that there is this? I mean, I'm. I, I've always loved cooking. I've always kind of. You're a good cook. Been. I've always. Well, I don't know what it was. Just my mom was a fanatic, and my dad did too. And my grandfather from Italy would always cook. He would mm-hmm. cook every meal all the time, and uh, and my whole family cooks. Everybody down the line cooks. So, but it's starting from you know the. Early Fanny Farmer style, using lard and stuff, and and you know fucking turtle heads and shit, and then it went to the 1950s. <laughs> 1950s turned into everyone had turtle heads in their freezer. That time. <laughs> and 50s turned into you know the nuclear winter of cooking, which just was fucking you know casseroles Crazy, and, and yeah. the most mayonnaise whip and shit like that. Yeah. And then it went to kind of back to the farm style 60s, 70s stuff, mm-hmm. and then. 80s and 90s were all. It was always kind of. I think what what happened a lot recently was this was this super fat. Uh, use butter. Use uh, you know more fat, more salt. Like it was I think a that weird has more kind to do of with like advertising. Backlash. Like you look at the advertising. No wonder the Food Network now has these shows that promote like cream cheese and chicken fingers because yeah. look at that look at the commercials in between right like I never even thought about yeah. that yeah. yeah it's like, like that's true yeah. they I never even thought about that of course they want like Paula Deen because that's what the commercials are sure. selling in, in, in between well they have yeah. the Rachel Ray and stuff and she's a little bit still it's tamer. like she's still yeah. it's still like buy still shredded, shredded, your, shredded yeah. cheddar cheese like right. a package of shredded cheddar cheese and she right. holds it up and puts it in you know it's all kind of like it has to do more about yeah. the advertising than the other stuff that's true I mean I think uh Shara uh, was trying to cook something, and it was a Paula Deen thing, and it, it said, "Use your your get out your instant biscuit recipe, get out your instant biscuits and chop them up." Yeah. <laughs> she was like, "Well, how the fuck? Where, like I, I, I want to make biscuits. I don't want to fucking do instant biscuits." Right. But I think on that same line, what I was trying to say is that I, you know, I think in the early aughts or late nineties, early aughts, I think what it was, I think food was kind of having this like bacon resurgence. Yeah. And then, and I think that's changing. 
well, now, I and I think it's becoming cleaner. It is. I think food on on the whole since the fifties has wanted to become clean. Well, I think and, that people and, don't realize. Sorry, I and, mean, like, but we're we're you know the thing is when you go to France and you eat, like my stomach will fucking hurt for a week. Really? Because there's no fucking you know creed of o. there's nothing liver there's, crisis yeah, baby well there's there's no there's no you know uh, what do you call uh, preservatives there's no fucking Doritos mm. you're, you're eating just like the purest of chicken you're they eating do sell like Doritos in France there's like a line out the door <laughs> they all want them but it's funny because you know in America we're so used to preservatives because the country's so fucking massive to get anything to one point to another That's you have to said, like, inject that thing with tons of preservatives America like, is doing pretty good like the ex- I mean France is what the size of Texas, yeah, and it's been right. you know it's had so many more centuries to right. like develop this kind of like farm to table culture. But yeah, America, yeah. like especially on the West Coast, I mean, I've seen the food there change from when I was a. I remember microwaving cans of corn. Like I knew, that was yeah. like my job when I was a kid. To like microwave the corn or the peas and yeah. green beans or something. And now you can actually find those foods on the West Coast that are more. Fresher and yeah, yeah. it just took that while for the expansion to actually kind of catch up to right. people like wait we've got this big now it's like wait let's like help out the infrastructure here food well, we talked bit. about this in a couple podcasts ago and one thing is and I talk I mean I, I always when we're going to culinary school I talk to a couple chefs and I've known people in the food business there seems to be you know when I went to culinary school they said the only indigenous food in the United States is Cajun food which is a mixture of African and French. French and so there was no there was never a culture of cuisine in the United States. It's so new. So yeah. new. How old is America? So new. Two hundred years, three hundred yeah, years, whatever. Two hundred years. So so one of the things was when when supermarkets first started people making easier food, you you didn't have this culture of passing on uh, cooking from generation to generation. So mm-hmm. mothers weren't teaching their children. I'm just saying this for, from a time standpoint. Right. Mothers weren't teaching their kids how to make food. And you got to the point where people didn't know how to cook for the most part. And then you had companies who were making food that, that you didn't need to know how to cook. Right. Right. So TV next thing you know is that's the reason. And that's when I was talking to Nico about a couple podcasts. But that's the reason why the, when the Food Network came out originally... It was b- before Emerald. It was really like people weren't going to it. Mm-hmm. You could see, you know, the frugal gourmet or, or Julia Child. Yeah, and could yes, but but yeah, Young yeah, can't, can't cook. But that was about it. And then something happened, and it was like Emerald made people want to cook because they made he made it very accessible. And these fat fuckers sitting in the audience, he'd be like, ah, I'm going to put out some garlic. And then you'd see these fat fuckers kind of just salivating. But I do, now we're going to put out some I bacon. Do, I do like what they did for, like, for, for, for they, me being in the industry. I'm like, of course. People are so much more engaged and interested in everything that you do. Of course. You know? Because there's like, there's this level of like, what the fuck is this? Is cooking? You can do this? I know. Emerald's making like a grilled cheese sandwich and people are like, People going out cheese. of their minds. They're going out yeah. of their minds. And he's like burning both sides. Yeah. And he's like, wow. Well, that's the thing. And like, oh my I mean, God. You, so go to great. Fr- you go to France. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you know, going to France, I mean, this, this is recipes have been passed on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. So there's it's, this it's, sense it's of... It's codified. They have a codified... But, but, so, you can say quiche Lorraine and like everyone can make that. 
at least slightly different, but that's depending it. on what where you are, they're going to say, "Oh, you're not supposed to put that in it." Like I read this article about bully base, and you go into pa- you go to France, depending on where you are, they're going to kick your ass based on what you put in it. Mm-hmm. Like you don't put fish, you know, you don't put fall, oh, you put pheasant, and you're a cocksucker. Yeah, you know, all like that kind of stuff. Every place in Italy like has a yeah, different, I don't right. know what those well, idiots over these, there are doing, <laughs> but, you but you this know, is the way you here, do. Result. But here, but here in the United States, nobody does that except for cheese, cheese. Subs, uh, cheese steaks in in Philly. <laughs> Don't put the fucking cheese on it. Don't be a cocksucker. You want to take that stuff? Go somewhere else. Are you like a cheese whiz guy, or are you more pro? I just had my first cheese sandwich. I talked to him. He killed me because I haven't been eating meat and chicken in a long time. And the first, and the, I was out in Philly, and I was like, "Well, I, I can't not have. I've never had a cheese." Where steak. did you go in Philly? We Valley? went to. I went to Jim's Steaks on on South Street. Right. Yeah. Right, right. It's good. Yeah, it was that, fine. That you know place what? has a crazy can line. There's a crazy line. Can I tell you something? It was fine. I know that they got knocked <laughs> off like about like a few months ago. They not, not, not like they got Robert? held up, oh, like shit. robbed, like at like How four o'clock in the afternoon. The fucking cook is like looks $30,000. How do you do? How is that possible? Because That's they're insane. doing nothing but selling cheesesteaks yeah, every the, three seconds. But the dude, all day the, long. Dude, the dude's got like a koofy. He's wearing a koofy and he looks like he just got out of jail. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I would never. He was he probably mean. knocked the place over. Maybe. It's probably, he was probably the inside man. Man, maybe. So, but the, the funny thing is, is and this is this is the this, I think, think that you good can, at like two in the morning. Of course, yeah. But what I'm getting back to the whole food thing, I think that you can make the connection between the obesity in this country with the fact that we don't know how to cook and we don't know how to eat. Mm. You know, this is this is. I mean, it's just the way it is. I mean, there's certain people who can eat and they know well, how, the, they the, enjoy I mean, cooking, but you no know, bad stuff tastes good. Bad stuff tastes great. Yeah. Are you kidding me? But you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing, and, and I think it, it definitely goes back to this guy who opened that restaurant in the South, and I can't fucking remember the name. But Is the it? idea that it's pure food, it's non-preservative, it's basically farmed like a couple days before, it's foraged like that day. I mean, you'll have. I it's think I know. You, I know exactly. Native, about, you'll like have the amaranth that the pigs were right, eating. Right, right. Yeah, the yeah, same yeah. Place. It's 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 native. You know, the, the honeysuckle that the fucking mm. you know the goat was having before you made the cheese with. You know, like if it's pure and if you don't serve it like an American fucking truck stop, like covered in cheese and and a plate the size of the fucking table. You you can have your bacon and you can have your butter mm-hmm. and be very healthy, but you you know it's like it's I think well, our problem is our, yeah our, we, like, our, we like to gild the lily in this we like to push the fuck out of our nine course meals Jesus yeah. Tony yeah oh yeah <laughs> I'm not, we I'm talked not, about this I'm not a, I'm not a, I think the tasting menu I'm like I'm tired of food that's more fun to cook than it is to eat. And I think that that food is gonna have to like restaurants gonna have to go into two separate directions now because there's the the places that get a lot of press and like the superstar chefs and all that kind of stuff. It's work to eat there. It's work. Like I don't see them as a restaurant to me is a place that you would go to two times a week or something. Mm. Some place you One go when you're just hungry. One restaurant two times a week. I mean, a real restaurant, a place where you would go. Where I mean, if you're living in a more urban environment, where you would go and eat there like twice a week. Yeah, not like definitely yeah, once a yeah, year yeah, yeah, or yeah. occasion-driven restaurant. You really think you go to a restaurant twice a week? Same restaurant? Oh, I did all the time. Was it a diner? I did. I went to that Brazilian it could be place a diner? on. No, no. On the East what I'm Village. saying, 
What I'm saying is, I mean, that's ultimately the goal of a restaurant. The goal of a restaurant, you and I talked about this a long time ago. We, you know, the whole thing about a restaurant is you need repeat business. And that's mm-hmm. what Alva, the whole thing it's about the whole Alva is, they wanted, us to, they wanted us to have people come in twice a week. That was like, that was perfect. And the, we, he and I talk about this because our friend is uh, Sonny Cover, who owns the best business in Peekskill, which is a coffee shop. She's got, and you and I talked about this years ago, the best businesses who get repeat business are coffee shops and liquor stores mm-hmm. and tobacco places. And, you know, people... You the know, legal drugs. The, the stuff that people... The legal go, drugs. The yeah. people who hit it up more than once a day. Yeah. It was a coffee shop. So I never believed... I never... This is something... Tony and I talked about this for a long time ago. I don't know if you remember this or not. We talked this a long time ago. How do you hit somebody up in a restaurant more than once a week? I never... People would say to me, people go to Alva twice a week. And I was like, you're full of shit. I'm never going to go to the same restaurant twice a week. Yeah, but I don't, think that, I don't think that we're the market, you know? No, of course. But, like, the whole concept of going to the same restaurant twice a week, I can't, I can't ever think of a place I went twice a week. The same place. Yeah, but... We never had that life that, like, an apartment and, like, the, this place well, here where, was, like, you know, this was going no, to go. No, to, no, this was the idea that I had and Tony and I went. Tony was all behind it. I When I was in the cookie business, we got all into the... We <laughs> got all... I got deep into the oh, whole manufacturing. But didn't you get repeat cookie business? Uh, yeah. Twice a week? Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> See what I mean? That's but no, thing. here's the thing. I ended up... We made, I made a cookie. I developed a recipe for a cookie that could last 30 days. And we could, we could put it in boxes and put it in, in supermarkets. So Plastic. that... What? Plastic. Plastique? Well, you cook that shit like a biscotti. You'd be right. perfect. Yeah. You cook that shit low temperature and you fucking cook it light, super light. It's not a lot of flour, lots of eggs and butter. Cook it nice and light and crisp and for a long time. No meringue? Yeah. No meringue. No, it was a chocolate chip cookie. And we got, <laughs> I got it into, I got it into Gourmet Garage. I got it into Whole, not Whole Foods. I got it into... I don't think Whole Foods was around at that time. Was no, it? no, it wasn't Whole Foods. It was, I got it into Gourmet Garage and I got it into... Balducci's? I got into Zabar's. I got oh, into Zabar's shit. and Cinderella. And I got into about a few, you know, good places in New York City. And the the whole thing was it got to the point where I was I started from a bakery standpoint and we were dealing with like you know people coming in then I started dealing with the whole distribution stuff and after that I talked to Tony because he was hanging around sending me oh we got to talk about your fucking <laughs> he trolled me for a long time we got to talk about that for a minute he he's a he's a he's a he, he's terrified he, he put me in terror for a while so we came up with the I came up with the idea that I thought. That if you made a restaurant that also packaged product like a grocery store. You were all about the grocery store for a long time. I was convinced that if you had a grocery store where you were actually making your condiments and food. Yeah, I wanted to call it the larder. I thought that was good. And if you had a restaurant, but you also but, made your standard. But wasn't shit. that wasn't that Balducci's? Wasn't Balducci's? A, uh, well, they didn't. I don't think I've ever been into a Balducci's. Honestly, but wasn't it a restaurant yeah. first? And it was like a food delivery service. That makes sense. That makes it was sense. like a food delivery service. Gourmet like food maker. That makes sense because I walked by a few Balducci's and like I don't really know what to think about that place. If you so could, I, thought it was, I think originally it was a pretty genius thing, and then it just because the packaging is not hard if you do it right. And the key is it's not the the key is the volume. If you could like figure out a way to like keep your inventory very low 
And then at the same time, talk to your cooks in the back saying, listen, we need four more bo- bottled bottles of ketchup. And you, you, you could create this whole idea of a very self-sustaining grocery store almost, but a high-end, low preserves, high-end. You, you'd do great. And I yeah. think that there's somebody who does that now. But I'm our, sure, we talked sure about this like 15 years now. ago. Yeah. I was convinced that that's the only way that you could keep repeat businesses, make a grocery store where you're making everything. You yeah. got really you got really upset about how I wrote a I wrote a business plan. Yeah, but it was about how hard it was to get any kind of like market share on the shelves of Well, uh, that's yeah, because we got involved with these cocksuckers. Right. Now what happened was was we got involved with the food company, which I love to just fucking slam. Because this cocksucker is one of the biggest food distributors uh, in New York. And he is such an asshole. He, <laughs> he was such an asshole. However, he, he, what they do is they sell the product. And if you are, the, if you are let's say, you're the, let's say, let's just go with cookies. Look at, look up husk. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It is husk. You were getting, yeah. you were getting like... You were you were getting uh, their markup. The, the 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 markup that the supermarket gets is like thirty percent. So you have to knock your shit back, and it's 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 a whole production, and you have to pay for your. You, it's their brokers involved, and it's the you whole, know, one of the, the whole yeah. distribution thing. One of the is, things I found is, is fascinating more about like restaurants and how they do that, like. That what do they call it? Like linear marketing or, or or horizontal marketing? Like the Doritos or say something. For example, they come up with new brands just so they can fill up the shelves more because they'll have to like cool brands, then this one, then this one, then this one. It'll just take up more space on the shelves. Well, like, pre, like it's huge. Tomato sauce, like tomato basil, then tomato garlic basil, then tomato sun dried tomato basil. Those like fill up the shelves because they have. Contracts that they have to carry all their products. They made they us bring them the out. distribution of the whole thing was they made us have to have to do tastings that we'd have to show up at their stores and put up a table mm-hmm. and do like tastings With like to give temp- people ten percent of no to give people and you have to cough it up and they would give you shitty spots and the whole thing the whole food thing you know the whole food thing in supermarkets it's so criminal because. Most of these, like, you know, everyone jokes about the Entenmann's. Those fuckers pay for the ends. Yeah. You know, all that stuff, all this stuff, low and high and stuff like that, if you're not selling a shitload of volume, if you're not, like, a superstar right off the backs, you have to cough it up. There's a company called, I'll never forget, I'll never forget, I'm gonna, you know what, fuck you, I'm going to tell, talk about it. <laughs> There's a company called Bare Naked, and they made granola. And they make great granola, really good granola. And they were one of the first people to make granola in those plastic bags, and with the with the resealable resealable tops. And I met them because they had we had when we worked with this food company, they made us work with, through a broker. And I was like, why do I have to go through a broker? And what they did was they said, you need to go to this. You need to when you need to call us or you need, we need product. We're, you're going to deal directly with the broker, so we want you to have a middleman. Mm-hmm. And once the middleman comes, the middleman, what the middleman is going to do, is he's going to place the orders. So he's going to. So you need when we have our orders, you're going to hear from us. When you need something from us, we're, you're going to talk to the broker. So all of a sudden, we were paying a substantial amount. In I mean, we, we, your product, you're take, they're taking a huge cut mm-hmm. of whatever your product is. We had to pay a broker. 
And it got to the point where we realized the broker was Axis. And we talked to this company, Bare Naked, and the guys, the guys were like, we got rid of this broker because he didn't do shit. And it was only... Be, he basically became a, a telephone. He became a telephone number. That's all he was. He, we could have to place our orders through him. And it became this, ver- this diluted, this totally diluted business. And these brokers would just do shit. And they, their whole point, and this might be in the film business too, they were all about access. You, the, the companies had deals with the brokers because they didn't want to have to de- The broker would handle 15 different companies. And then the, the, the distribution companies wouldn't have to deal with 100 different guys. They'd deal with one guy. So the, the broker would have the list of how much they needed or whatever, and he'd only have to, we would have to deal with this broker, we'd have to give him a huge cut, and he didn't do shit. Right. Didn't do sweet fuck all. He'd call me when there was a problem. And then when there was a problem, I'd call the distribution company and deal with it. So it got to the point where that's when I started talking to you, I was like, dude, if you, if you could cut out the distribution, and you started, you'd make your own stuff and package it and sell mm-hmm. it in your own store, you'd crush because that's how you get, that's how you get uh, business where you have uh, repeat business. Mm-hmm. You know, people come in once a week, they're buying groceries because they want fresh shit. Like, if, I would totally go to a place that sold, that made their own ketchup. You made your own ketchup? I'm going to get your food and I'm going to buy your fucking ketchup. See, I don't, I, I think that no one else has to make ketchup in the world but Heinz. I, I agree with you. However, if you're in a place like, like you're making example, ketchup, that's like saying I, you we know. dealt with uh, we dealt with who are those cocksuckers on the Upper West Side uh, the, the, with the famous place in the Upper West Side, not, Cocksucker not, Incorporated. No, 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 no. The, the, the place that the famous place on off the West Side Highway, and they also have a place. Oh yeah, the grocery store. Fairway, no, 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 Fairway, Fairway, Fairway. We I did a thing with Fairway, and they were they were they were all right. I should probably shouldn't call them cocksuckers. However, they they sausage they were, they make their own <laughs> they make all their own shit, you know, and they do well. That generic shit they do well with. That's your move. So here it is. Look at there's your move right there. This is, although I, I really can't stand Bon Appetit, but we get it. It's it's the worst this cover ever. A piece of fried so chicken. It's so disgusting. But sitting in our bathroom, like I get ill every time I look in there. But these yeah, are these all, these guys do it right. This company is called. They're all different companies. They're all like they, they make, all make their own shit. They yeah. make their own mayo. They make their own fucking. You know, it's it's a good time to be a um, making food in America. It's just because art, artisanal shit. Yeah, America's right? yeah. never been so in love with itself as it is now. Yeah, which is great. I think it's an awesome idea, and it goes back to the same Hutz thing. It's a worst fucking photo. Yeah, so wait a second. Photo. Now let's get into know. food. Tony, when I picked up Tony at the train station today, he said he's all into Korean fried chicken. Do you know about Korean fried chicken? I mean, it's. Korean fried chicken is the best fried I've, chicken out there. I've heard, I've heard about, I heard about Korean fried chicken a couple years ago from oh, New York so Magazine. <laughs> oh yeah, oh Tony, <laughs> Tony, Tony doesn't like the Bon Appetit too thin. He thinks it's too thin. Fried chicken on the cover. That's so. It's it's kind of gross. But, but I've heard about Korean fried chicken for a long time, and you and I used to go down to Chinatown. We go, we we go for, we go to three different places. What is there peanut oil they use them? No, tell, tell him. No, Go I, ahead. I believe this is what I've... Horse this, grease? This is <laughs> horse rendered horse Only fat. if you're lucky. <laughs> no, but I think what they do is they kind of put the chicken into the uh, low fryer, cook it for a long time. So low fryer like what? Almost four, like a fast confit. 
So no, they're poaching. Like, we're like 250-275. So they're poaching the chicken at a low temperature. In oil. Like French in fries. In oil. Yeah, in oil. Like French fries. You have two cooking times, a yeah, low yeah. one and then a high. But then they bring the chicken out and then they shake it. So it separates the skin from the from the meat. So when they put it into the hot fryer, the skin like puffs up around, just like because it's been so separated. It's a huge amount of skin. What's huge the skin crunch. is super crisp, huge amount of crunch. Yeah. But the crunch is like completely around the whole piece of meat, and it's kind of separated, so it stays crunchy. It doesn't like steam. It's like this little pocket. And then they throw hot sauce on it, right? You can get like a hot sauce one or a regular wow. one or whatever. But we gotta go. Can I tell you what I think the new... Mad for chicken. I'm like, listen. Squeeze chicken. a place. This note, I'm going to tell you. We talked about this in the last podcast. But I'm convinced that what? I know what the new theme... The new big theme in cooking is going to be. Mm. Street chicken. Now, street, street chicken? Street chicken. I'm not, when you say about street chicken... <laughs> what do you mean street chicken? I mean chicken... What do you mean street chicken? I mean chicken that lived on the fucking street. Oh, shit. When I was like down, the cows in India? They just like walk around? Yes. You're just going to like... Listen. You hit a chicken, you pull over, and you pick it up and throw yeah. it in the trunk? Listen to me. Right. Like, kill reverse. That's not stuff with street chicken. Listen. Listen. We were in St. John over the summer, and then we had to... We got... St- we got we got the Hurricane Irene down there. We got fucked. They got we had, Irene'd. We stayed in... T- in, in in St. Thomas for overnight. My daughter, we know Hill and I don't eat chi- meat and beef, but at the same chicken and beef. But however, we don't we don't like make our we whatever Lila wants to eat, we let her eat. Well, so where, she, where does it come from? The not eating the, the chicken and the beef. I'm a, I got a problem with American meat. I think that I think as far as an American goes, I think that we take for granted these animals, and I think that they don't taste great. And I don't want to be a part of the whole. I just don't feel like participating. Just say they don't taste great. And they don't taste great, and I don't feel like participating in their things. But, but I'll tell find, you one thing: you can find great can I, tasting chicken. Can I tell you one thing? You're the first guy I knew who was a, fir, a, a first class chef who didn't eat meat for a while. We, you and I, would go out for to eat, and you'd be vegetarian. I just didn't. It wasn't a habit of mine. No, fuck I you! Of course, like... it was a habit of yours. <laughs> we went to a few places, and it was all like, "Hey, chef, let's go get some falafels." Well, no meat in those falafels. Like, don't worry, don't worry. It was you would see we would to tie joints and you wouldn't eat meat there either. I you I'm still not a big meat eater. Honestly. All right. Well, here I'm not <laughs> I a big meat like eater. Once a month, but you wait, 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 wait. I remember and you remember, even though you want to forget it, the chop chop. Yeah, we ate a lot of chop chop. You would we had order. This, all right. Here, here, this is the thing at Alva. At the end of the night, there was a there was a French joint. The Express. Uh, Express. It was a cheap French joint. Twenty four hours. Twenty four hour French joint. And you and I went down there for Beaujolais when they opened up the Beaujolais Nouveau. Remember that? <laughs> oh fucking hell! These French are crazy. But when they live in when in New York, the French are totally insane. So they had a whole thing. Is uh, I'll never forget. They had uh, this French place, Little Express had. You would order uh, in steak tartare. We had steak like, tartare. Bring it over to the. Well, restaurant. here's the thing: we started sending the busboys over because they wouldn't deliver. So they had steak tartare, and then they would have. Uh, you loved yourself some steak tartare. I did, and they also had good <laughs> French fries, and they had um, they had um, duck liver pat. They had a little duck liver pat. Day. It yeah. wasn't good stuff, but it was fine. It was doable. So we would. The so it was good thing. enough that we'd all go. We once in a while after work, we'd go over there. And then one night we were like, let's send one of the bus boys over to pick some up. So we call up, and they said, well, we don't send the duck liver to go. And we're like, just just send it. And send the chop chop too. And they're like, what's the chop chop? And we just started calling the steak tartare chop chop. Because he just chopped me. Right. Your name so, on my phone is still Chopper. Chop, yeah, chop. he calls me Chopper. Because <laughs> I would always, always go over and get some chop chop. 
Actually, I think I called you that because you were so infatuated with Orange County Choppers at the time. Yeah. You love that shit. I like those guys. Yeah. I like those guys up until I found out that they're bikes. But it worked were... with chop, Chopper and Chop Chop. It just worked. Right. Yeah. Right. Found out their bikes were what? So we... Their bikes are Republican? not good. Yeah. They're not good bikes. And they, they had a... I work, when I worked in Orange County, we met with some guys who who said that the bikes are... There, was, there were problems with the bikes. Yeah. They're, they're kit bikes. Yeah. And then they would throw... They would weld some things on Right. Them. Like an iron cross, brake pedal. Right. Like sissy... They weld up yeah. some sissy bars and then yeah. throw it in. You know, it's just... You know, they're not quality. So what kind of... I, since my parents are giving me money for a bicycle for my birthday... Oh, oh bicycle! Dude. I thought you were getting a no, motorcycle. Like, I don't know why it's a bicycle. Yeah. Oh, fucking no, Because I, 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 I bicycle all the time. I don't have a car. <laughs> oh, we thought bicycle. we... We're all about bicycles here. <laughs> no, that's all I have. I don't like bicycle. Yeah, I'm Mr. Bicycle. But they have they're getting me a motorcycle, so I need to know which kind of kind of bike to get. I kind of motorcycle to get? Yeah, my motorcycles. Vespa. A Vespa. Ducati. How about an Indian? I hear those are good. I don't know shit about motorcycles. Really? I don't know anything about uh combustion engines not really? anything with a combustion engine I couldn't tell you anything about it really? okay what if I was just gonna get a new bicycle I've had you get a new bicycle uh, I have a story about my bicycle I brought my bicycle into a shop in, in when I first moved to Philly because it was you know it's a very bike centric town and I brought it in these like little thir- these 13 year old kids were like I think I had to have like a new tires on it or something or their gear shifter wasn't working right and they're like like wow carbon fiber and it's like yeah it's cool like, that's a cool bike man and they're like how 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 is the bike working like bikes from this era we don't see a lot i'm like this era era like i've had the bike since i was 17 year old year old and they're calling it, saying that the bikes from a different era that they're used to working <laughs> it on it seems like they're assholes they're just kids but still i'm then i had to realize i've had this bike since i was like 17 years old nico is like he is like a laser printer for fixing bikes, he once went over my bike. Before what do you What bikes. do you think about fixies? I think it's really bad for your knees. I don't get them in an <laughs> urban environment. Let me just tell you, Nico once had my bike, and he stripped down like like he was like like a laser printer. It was amazing watching him work. Amazing. Did it for years. Yeah, you're you're awesome. Now I don't want to. I just want to just say here. I just want to. Let's just keep the tape rolling. And I just want to say here. Your train is at 10.19. It is 9.50. There is another train at 11.38. Do you tell me where we want to... How much Jameson is there left? There's a lot of Jamesons. How many inches of Jameson are There's an inch. However, there is a bar down by the train station. I'm going to convince (laughs) Nico to come with me while I walk you down. Yeah, I'm footloose and free and free. Whatever you guys are are into, I'm, I'm down with. Your call, buddy. Wanna, if you, I just don't want you if you miss this thing you know what we can always do miss the train get the next one on the go down the bar have a drink or two that sounds cool okay let's not let's just not be married to let's not be nervous the key is to not be nervous don't be worried I'm not nervous you're my guy Tony Ayazi <laughs> so Tony I'm a man of what's nature. the next what's the alright so street chicken alright here's the thing about a street chicken I'm sorry I'm broke I thought back. a street chicken was I'll like a hooker a, or no, something no street chicken when I we were in St. Thomas Lila orders a chicken I didn't want it to go to waste I taste it I think this is the fucking best tasting piece of chicken I've ever had really and I'm convinced it's one of the chickens that's been walking the streets really kicking fucking cans Pecking it, glass and gum. Why are you convinced? 
Because it just has to be. There's a shitload of chickens on St. Thomas. There's a ton of chickens on St. Thomas. Really? These are fucking chickens who don't eat grass. They don't eat feed. They just, like, make it happen. They live a life. They live right. a life without any type of... Uh, uh, supervision. Uh, supervision or encumbrances. Right. And they make it happen. If you got to fucking chew on some fucking pebbles, they chew on pebbles. Right. And I think... It makes a gamier and rangier chicken. You like a rangier chicken? It was a fucking kick-ass chicken. I ate the whole goddamn... And I and at the time... Was it, I the, had, was it the legs? At the back. I'm a back guy. I like it's chicken backs, dude. Back. The chicken back made it happen. I mean, this is the part of the, 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 the most white people don't eat. Right. Is the chicken backs. And right. I'm just saying this because I know a lot of white people and none of them eat backs. When I, when I used to get chickens... I was my big thing was to to, to to cut the legs and thighs and the, and grill everything separate and then I would cut the carcass and then I would grill the back separately and then the back was for me wow. and I thought the back was awesome. Well, I think there's the, that there's that part of the Pope's nose. The, the, well, I'm not a big Pope's nose guy, but right. I like the oyster, the two oysters the in the oysters back. Good, but if you were to if you if you if you grill the back of a chicken, it's great. There's a lot of good stuff going on. Really. There. You don't think so? I just haven't tried it. You said that was my thing. Was I was you said really... you cut out the back and then that all right? Stop. I cut the legs off and I cut the wings off and then I cut the breasts off and do the breasts for the girls because the girls like the breasts, right? Mm-hmm. And then I would split the, I would cut the, the the I would cut it down from the top to the bottom. So the Pope's nose, that whole from the Pope's nose to the back of the neck was one piece, mm-hmm. and then I would grill that separately. Wow. And that was for me. And then you'd pick through it. That's like Yakitori Tai Show. That's Yakitori Tai Show. Yakitori Tai Show is a restaurant that Tony and I went to. It's on St. Mark's Place. Ooh. And it was all grilled meat. They well, that's it actually great because there are two of them next to each other. One has air conditioning and the other one doesn't. That's old. See, the old yeah. school one, the one downstairs is the original one that Kentaro uh, Tutsuka-san took me to. He's this Japanese art guy who is, is selling the... I think I met him. Kintaro, you might have met Kintaro. Yeah. He's, he's this guy who's a really great Japanese artist. And he used to take me to Yakutori Tai Show. And it was hard to get in because... I think we were sitting next to Sean Lennon one time when we went, there, when we went to we that. We weren't sitting next to Sean Lennon. Maybe that was, I was there with someone else, but I was I wasn't. I never sat. I saw Sean... You know what? I got a Sean Lennon story for Really? You. When I was in high school, I went to high school in Manhattan. And I went to private school. And we went to a party with Sean Lennon was there. And a friend of mine was giving Sean Lennon a lot of trouble. Because he was, he was like, he was very jealous that Sean Lennon was getting all these girls and, and he wasn't. He was getting chicks? Well, Sean Lennon, I mean, at the, you know, in, in the early 90s was, you know, he had the, he had the whole, he Come figured... On, he had that one song. He had the one song. This is before the song, Sean Lennon. I'm, I'm not talking Julian Lennon. I'm talking Sean Lennon. Wait, wait, wait. Sean Lennon. There are two... There's Julian Lennon and Sean Lennon. You don't know. Did you just say that there's two? Of course there's two. I didn't realize which one. Nico. Just the same. He, he doesn't know that there's Sean Lennon and Julian Lennon. Well, I'm not sure which one I was sitting next to then in the place. All right. So, well, I'll tell you. I can figure which it out Which one had the quick. song? The Asian one is Sean Lennon. <laughs> I thought they were And Yoko Ono. And, no. Julian Lennon was the original. So was He was this first son uh, of John Lennon. And All they right. both live in New York? I don't. I know. I think Sean Lynn lives in New York, and Julian Lennon. Probably, I wouldn't if I was John Lennon, Julian Lennon. I would probably not live in New York. Right. All right. So, 
Yakitori Thai Shell, really great yakitori bar in on uh, uh, St. Mark's. St. Mark's place, and they make grilled everything. Grilled everything on a stick. On a stick, and inclu- and then very good like Japanese bar food stuff. Great, French fries with cod cod mayonnaise. The dried skate wing is awesome. Remember the dried skate wing? I don't remember dried skate wing, but I do remember. F- I remember you could order female shrimp that were. Had rough. I still like how every little piece of the kitchen is covered in aluminum foil. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's how they clean the kitchen. They just pull down the aluminum foil every other week or whatever they do. So that street they, chicken thing didn't do anything for you, huh? Well, I'm all about the street chicken. I just want to know but more don't about you, it. I, well, I mean, the whole it's the whole concept of a chicken that's, like, lived a very rough... Oh, like, it's, it's actually... like a homeless chicken. You know what? I'm Nico. I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, Tony... At Alva, once had on the menu, we were trying to do uh, Rock Cornish Game Hens. And they were not selling. Rock Cornish Game Hens is a tough bird to sell at a restaurant because... It's a tough bird. It's a small... No, it's a small bird, but you got to do a lot of cutting. you gotta, you got to, like... You're the surgeon. It's hard. I think that for the most Americans, it's very difficult... I don't think a lot of Americans people like... People think it's going to have a lot of bones and well, stuff. Well, it does. You know? people, I don't think Americans like fish with bones in them because I think it's too hard to deal with. Right. Rock Cornish Game is the same thing. It tastes good. There's a lot of surgery involved. You got It's like eating crabs. you got to like work at it, you know? Right. So Tony wanted to do Rock Cornish Game Hens, and he, but he thought he could he could jazz up it on I the menu. I it out or something. Did I bone it? I cut it out. I no, sp- you didn't bone it out. cocked it? You named it. We were, we were, we, you and I worked on names, and you wanted to call it a preteen chicken. <laughs> a preteen chicken. You thought if we called it a preteen chicken on the menu, Barely that would, chicken. that would, it would, it would fly off. The yeah, menu. that's right around the time that this is, this is what we're saying, like about having Barely like this legal this chicken. place that we a had preteen nothing. chicken. Is that the greatest thing you've ever heard? Yeah, if you ever go to a place and say, "Oh, preteen chicken," I'm all in. No, because people didn't like baby. They don't want to eat baby. <laughs> they don't want to eat baby. They don't want baby chicken. No. They don't want baby... Preteen chicken. Shrimp, whatever. They don't <laughs> want baby. But barely I'll legal. never forget thinking he said, oh, yeah, we got to do preteen chicken on the menu. And I thought, oh, That's right around the time you put the blood clot on the menu. Do you remember that? I did. I the made drink? a drink called the blood clot. It was... We started, we started, started to try to make these kind of like... Cosmo e drinks. Well, it started off with comic book character drinks. Yeah, we made comic book. Char- we, well, here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. Uh, Charlie Palmer's has got a sister in law who worked at DC Comics. So when she she came down once and she started sending comic book artists and writers over to Alva. So Tony and I were side. I got some good like original art. Like we Jim had, Lee gave me like a. Oh shit! Yeah, we, like a yeah I got a Jim, Jim Lee. Actually, I ended up getting a Jim Lee drawing. I did too. Yeah, it was and great. I had a girlfriend who almost burnt it down. We, oh, she put God. like over a candle. Oops. I think she did it on purpose. Girlfriend is us. Whoa. Oh, okay, we don't want to do that. So <laughs> the we we got all, we we started doing all these crazy drinks, and one of them was called the Blood Clot. And I figured out that well, I didn't figure it out, but we had all this. Grenadine syrup in the Pomegranate back. Pomegranate molasses. Pomegranate molasses. And we would drop, and it's thick. You know, all these mixed yeah, yeah, drinks is all thick. So we'd put some pomegranate and molasses at the bottom. And then for some, when I was doing inventory, there was a ton of, of uh, it was this red liqueur that nobody ever drinks. It was like... Uh, it was all kinds of weird stuff. It was all sorts of weird shit. So I wanted to try to get it out. You know, it was like, it was like a case of this... 
strange red liqueur. So we'd make this drink and we'd drop the grenadine liqueur in the bottom and it was like this thick black <laughs> clot of red the clot. clot. And then we'd make this drink and call it the blood clot. We started on Halloween. That's yeah, right. Well, That's well, right. Well, 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 well. And then we had all sorts of... Then we had... Uh, yeah, there were a few comic book things. We had every time a DC guy would come, every time a like the guy who wrote uh, Hundred Bullets, not Azarella, but the editor for Azarella, we would ever, whenever a guy from DC Comics would come in, I'd make sure there was on the menu a DC related drink. We'd cough some. It was really difficult because I was more a Marvel guy, and like I, I was a Marvel guy too. I thought really, I thought you were more a DC guy. No, I was a Marvel guy, but uh, you know what are you going to do if the boss's sister-in-law's a DC works Our comic books did come in handy once when, like, the boss bought his kids in and, like, we, like, threw out a bunch of, like, Hulk magazines or something this, like that. The, our, our boss, Charlie Palmer, at the time, he has, like, three boys and they were crazy. And he, when he came, four boys? Yeah, twins. He had four boys. And he would come in to the restaurant, he'd call ahead and say, we want to, we're going to come in for dinner. And we would all... Panic, and and we, when he get there, the, the boys do wouldn't eat anything except for pasta. So he would say to the chef, "We'll just make some pasta with you know butter and salt or whatever." And um, what would happen was the kids would go, start just going crazy at the table, like kids go crazy at the table. And he and I had some comic books downstairs, so I ran downstairs and grabbed. A load of comic books and gave them to the kids. And Charlie was just like, "Wow, that's really great," except for the fact my sister works at. DC, everybody's <laughs> giving us Marvel comics, and then we got sent over to Marvel for a while. Seriously, we had to pick DC. between DC and Marvel. I Marvel's a pretty easy choice to me. I haven't read comics in a while. To be honest, you sold with you. all yours off a while. I, I've been selling them off on eBay. I sell them off I, when Lot Hillary when Lila was on the way. I had to stop my comic book buying. However, I bought when I was we had I had a sick day a couple of days uh, weeks ago, a week a week or two ago, and we we got, I got a I got the Marvel app and I got a couple of comics on the Marvel app. The Marvel app on iPad. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, but does that except for you same? pay top dollar? You the, the the you get the Marvel the comic book apps are good because you get you get nice and crisp. What's the comic book you read the most? The Ultimates. The Ultimates. The Ultimates is the best comic. The Ultimates is. You really like. I remember you really liking the Ultimates. The Ultimates though. is the reason why they did the Captain America movie and the Iron Man movie and now the Avengers movie. It's because Mark Millar did really? a great job on the Ultimates. The Ultimates was probably the best comic in the last. I feel like what years. was that? The Marvels. Marvels. Remember Marvels. The art that was. Going yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, Alex Ross stuff. Yeah, Alex Ross. The super like realistic like stuff. I thought that was really great. Yeah, that was cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Alex Ross too. It was, it like was a, big. It was like Well, four, Alex yeah, Ross yeah. did a book called uh, Kingdom Come with uh, That's what it was. You know what? You and I went to Tony Bourdain's place. Uh what's that? What's that Siberia? Well, you and I went to oh, Siberia, Siberia once. The, Tony Bourdain's place. That's he loves. That's he only talks. That's his favorite bar. That's not there anymore. So, well, Siberia used to be there, and you and I Which went there Siberia once, and we saw to? Mark Wade. We saw remember. Mark Wade. No, no, no. I'm telling you. Right. Don't don't worry. I'm telling you. <laughs> Mark Wade was the writer at the time. He did Kingdom Come. He did Flash. He did. He was a big comic book guy. And you and I sent him a drink. He was with the girl. He was trying to impress the girl. Were we we sent him that, a drink. Were we, which Siberia were we at? Like the this, one at the train station. 
No, the Siberia on the, in the in the West Forty in, in the West House 50s. Kitchens? Yeah, no, no, it was like the fifties. Yeah, in the was, subway station. I don't think it was in the subway station. Oh, so was the other one. Yeah, the other one, the other Siberia, and Mark Wade was there. It must have been close to DC Comics, which was in the fifties yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like that. And we sent him a drink, and we looked like two tough cooks. And he was with this girl, and he's a doughy dude. Mark Wade is a very nice doughy dude. Mm. And the funny thing is, I took my daughter to Comic-Con last year, and went the year before, and I went up to Mark Wade, and I said, I don't know, I know you don't remember me, but I bought your drink at Siberia, and he actually looked at me, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. And I said, no, no you didn't. There's no way. You remember? I bought you a drink in Siberia. What? I don't know if that was funny. That was funny. I said I bought you a drink in Siberia. He's like, Oh yeah, I remember. And I said, No, I don't think you did. Why was he all? Who was he all? Was he all gone? Johnson or something? Who was he all? Like Dunsky? Like how would you not remember? I don't remember. No, but I think he was trying to be a comic book nice. I think he was at the comic book con to be. Yeah, why didn't you just let him get away with it? Because I thought it would be funnier if (laughs) if I didn't. What were you wearing at the Comic Con? I was wearing a reg- I was wearing a. I, you know what? I was wearing a Robotech shirt. I was wearing a Robotech shirt that said it was a Veritech shirt. It was like uh-huh. a fucking. Did your daughter dress up also? No, no, no. We no, no that the, the year I went by myself with my or with Tim Smith, I did not wear. I I wore a Veritech shirt. And last year, Lila and I went, and she was like, "I'm not wearing anything." She was originally going to go Spider Girl, and then she saw everybody, and she was like, hey, "We're we're going to keep going. We, we we're going to go for the." I dig it. Nico, you look tired. Yeah. Let's let's wrap this thing up. Yeah. I just gotta plug my I've been spent a whole week doing my website. My new website. Right. And it's just I, I I'm no longer Ant Wrangler, which is a What are you? I've been Ant Wrangler for ten years and now I'm just me. I'm NicoTavernici.com. That's awesome. And then we're working on a Downward Spiral podcast. And we're working on Downward Spiral. Yeah, I've been looking for Downward Spirals. There's .org. Where did that th- I really want to triple like, to X. Not be, to not be Ant Wrangler anymore. Well, the thing is that my name in the credits, it's just like... The Ant Wrangler is just a weird... It's a great number for a production company, but trying to get your name out there and try to find work. Mm-hmm. They're like, Ant what the fuck is an Ant Wrangler? Mm. So... If I put my name, people actually remember my name, and it's in credits, and it's right. you see it on. Or you could just change your name to Ant Wrangler. Yes, yeah, Mr. Wrangler. Mr. Wrangler to you. <laughs> Nico Tavernis. <laughs> Never thought about. Yeah, I think it's good. I think Nico Tavernis. It's like that guy who does like the mega 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 video guy. He like changed his name to Kim dot com. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah. That fucking guy. Fuck that guy. He's gone. Sorry, dude. Fuck. Anyway, so Nico dot com. Where are you working these days, Mr. Iazzi? Oh, me? Yeah. I'm working plug anything? in Philadelphia. No, nothing for me to plug. All right. I'm below radar. I want to plug... Yeah, you are totally below radar. <laughs> this is the Below Radar web uh, podcast. I want to plug the down, uh, the Second Nature Skateboard Park. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. I love those guys. And we're going to do the next podcast at the Second Nature Skateboard Park. At the Skate Park. Yeah, we're gonna. Doug Brown's all fired up, and his brother is reluctantly fired up. But yeah. I'm gonna have to take care of him. Don't reluctantly. Yeah, it should be fun. It'll be good. And uh, what else? Have to, nah, that's about it. All right. I'm glad to see you, Tony. Yeah, yeah Tony. Thanks for coming by. Thank you guys so much for the yeah, invitation. It was of really, course. Oh, really dude, awesome. are you kidding me? That was a awesome. highlight. All right. Well, Downward Spiral over and out. Nice to see you. Bye, guys. Tony.
This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. (laughs) 